0: This is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs.
1: For deals you can use, click on Dobbs.com now. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Cook
2: looking to throw it
1: all alone. They forgot about Pete out of the backfield and he trots into the end zone for a 49-yard touchdown to begin the fourth quarter. Fadiato steps up, now looking, throws to the end zone. Touchdown! Deep got
2: pushed out but had possession. It is a TD in Middle Tennessee State, right back in this game with under seven minutes to go. And Cook's in trouble. He lost the ball. He to safety and now it's going to be a four-point game and mizzou's going to have to punt it to middle tennessee state missouri holds on they beat middle tennessee 23 19 23 19 mizzou That's a good win. Now, typically, that's what you think we would be acting as. A good win. You're 2-0 on the start of the season. Next stop, the uh, college football championship game. 23-19 to Middle Tennessee. To Middle Tennessee. Yeah, oh, we're so? absolutely starting Mizzou football today. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson, Grant Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. That audio was courtesy of the SEC Network. Thank you so much for being with us. A fresh new week. I am officially out of the house where I've been by myself with my two little girls for an entire week. So let me just say, adult interaction is very welcoming right now.
3: Oh, thanks, man. I'm glad you called me an adult for a change. I was talking to
2: Grant. Sorry, oh, buddy. sorry. And Damn I got it. a lot of anger to get out of my... Uh, to get off my chest. So let's start with Missouri football because T-Bone, it takes, it's very odd for me in a matter of two weeks to go from saying, yeah, probably a six-win team, or I'm sorry, seven-win team. I was optimistic at the beginning of the year, to a, oh, yeah, this team's winning eight games because Florida's terrible. Mizzou might be one of the better teams in the SEC. Now I'm officially back to saying this team might win six games. That was bad. Now, defensively, impressive. I know it was middle Tennessee, didn't expect much, but still, you found ways, you held your ground, you held them to 19 points. But you scored 23 points against that team. And I was reading Gabe D. article on Power Mizzou following that that victory.
3: Man, not even reading your guy BK's
2: article. No, I don't read BK's article. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Sorry, BK. I know you're wow. I know you're enjoying your day off, buddy. What but
3: a teammate.
2: I strict I stick to the uh the professionals around here.
3: At least I read BK's.
2: BK article. is a professional
3: jerk.
2: Oh, that's where I was going with this one. No, Gabe said it exactly what I was thinking watching some of that game. Where's the aggressiveness? Like, Eli Drinkowitz was brought in to be this offensive juggernaut coach who could come in and do these wily plays and thinking, oh my gosh, never seen this before with Mizzou. This is like the polar opposite of what Barry Odom was. Fourth and three, punt. Fourth and two, punt punt. Fourth and one, punt. And again, I understand the strategy there. You're playing to your strength. Your defense is great. and You're punting the ball. There's 10 minutes left. But it was fourth and like inches and you punted the ball. The one concern I have right now is this offense has no firepower. They've got no uh, trying to they got no creativity to what they're doing it's just strictly the same thing over and over and over and that's not going to benefit you when you start to get into sec play
3: yeah very very concerning win for the missouri tigers and you know i think bk said this when we talked about their win over south dakota and we mentioned it too you know that was a game that you should win and if there's any storylines to come away from it it's probably not good well they won and i think their storylines to come away from the middle tennessee game and look i thought that game was going to be more competitive for sure than the south dakota game there's no doubt about it I did not expect it to be twenty nineteen or twenty three nineteen. No. I didn't expect it to be that close. And they were favored by like 20 points going into that game. And as we know, good teams cover. Um, but I, I think there's a lot of concerns. One, the offensive line did not look good in that game. By the game. way, they
2: didn't cover two games. That's two games that they have not covered.
3: I wouldn't worry about this. That's a good one. I'm a little worried about the Middle Tennessee I mean, one. it's the same difference. But I... I think to your point about the offense, one, they can never provide enough time for Brady cook. Yeah. Two. I did not think again, Brady cook was that great on the deep ball in this game. As I thought that in his limited time against South Dakota. And to your point, there's not a lot of aggressiveness, not a lot of deep shots. It's just a bunch of kind of, and I've heard stalls talk about this crossing routes and screens for Brady cook. Yeah. Now I do think Luther Burton has looked really good. He had another Agreed. great game over hundred receiving yards, but Kirby Moore, the offensive coordinator, He's supposed to be the guy that's supposed to take Mizzou past what Drinkwitz was doing when he was calling plays from previous years. And it just has looked very blah from the Missouri Tigers. Defensively, you're right. I think they look pretty good, and I think that's the thing that's going to give them a fighting chance. But they're going to have to be better offensively. They're going to have to be able to open up the playbook for Brady Cook and not only just open up the playbook, but provide him time. They were not able to provide him any time in that game. He was under pressure all night long from Middle Tennessee, and if he's under pressure from Middle Tennessee... What the hell is going to happen against Kansas State next week?
2: Oh, I can tell you what's going to happen against Kansas State. One, you're not covering. Well, you're not. You're not you're winning not that favored. game. You're not favored. You're not winning that game. And frankly, that might be the moment that we say, "Yeah, this is probably a six-win team."
3: Yeah, I, I think looking at the performance from Missouri over the weekend, you want to talk about a ceiling dropper. I think to your point, I thought they were probably a seven, eight-win team, and it was because of the defense. But, man, they look like a six-win team after that performance against Middle Tennessee, and it's all because of the offense. I I just don't know if the offense is going to be good enough to, to stay at the level that the defense is at, and that's my biggest concern for the Missouri Tigers. And you want to talk about disappointing? Because this was supposed to be the year in which they took that somewhat of a step under Eli Drinkwitz. And now there are a lot of questions that are going to be raised with the Missouri Tigers football team.
2: Our air comfort service text line 314 399 9646 from the 314. I can't wait for Mizzou to go five and eight and lose in the Bayer hemorrhoid cream bowl to Akron or something. Is that a thing? Is there a hemorrhoid cream bowl?
3: Probably. There's a lot
2: of that doubles. is amazing. If it's, if, but this is the one that I, that caught my eye more than anything. Don't know why you guys are so mad. It's Mizzou. Here's why I'm mad. And I don't even think mad. It's more frustrating.
3: Disappointed.
2: Disappointing is a it's better like a word with that. Disappointed
3: father, you know. Yeah,
2: but this is like a, like a the next level of of anger from disappointed father because I I, I keep expecting and, and Gabe mentioned it in his piece, not BK's piece, Gabe's piece on PowerMizzou that LSU game where they went toe to toe in drinks first season, and he went toe to toe with them in offensive situations. They were they were as creative as you can ask for. I'm frustrated because you've got the weapons and you're not using it. You're not you you not you're not utilizing the quarterback that you acted like was the guy that was going to win this for you. It was a competition in week one. Week two, we've come here and Brady Cook's the player, but you're not acting like he even said post-games like, Yeah, our offense would like to stay out there and try and get that first down to keep the clock moving. You've got Luther Burton, a great game, but I'm expecting bigger plays in this situation. And I understand your offensive line is horrible, that needs to be upgraded. But I just want a little bit more firepower with this offense rather than just the, well, we're going to win. It's going to be a close one because when you get into SEC play, when you play against some of these teams, those close games that you're trying to hold on to, you're not going to be able to. And you're not ready for these situations if you're playing like this. Yeah.
4: I was going to say, if there's one positive you can take away from this, and this is going to be an unbelievable spin rate, and I'm not a Mizzou fan, so over here. I, I don't even need to do this. But just for the sake of conversation, there is something to playing a competitive game before going into a really competitive game. And what I'm saying there is, Look at what Alabama just did they, they blew out middle Tennessee 56 to 7 and then they go into that game against Texas and they're absolutely flat in the first half and I'm not saying it's a good thing that this game was close for Mizzou but at least for Mizzou in a game that's close like that you sort of learn about your flaws and you can take what you learned into the next game which will be Kansas State and hopefully they can learn a little bit from that but overall no not good that they won by four against them but the fact that they played a
2: competitive game hopefully you can learn something about yourself speaking of of absolutely flat in the first half.
3: Well, hold on. Before we get to that, I just want to point out that the Missouri team, I don't think this benefited them. I think this told them that, hey, we're not as good as we thought we were. I, I don't oh, think don't this ask, was drink that. I don't think this was a game that told Mizzou, hey, we are gonna we needed this. We needed this going into the K State game. I think this was an eye opener, not just for us the fans, but for the Missouri football program. That's a letdown against Middle Tennessee. There's yeah, no sure. simple there's no simple way to put it. they You want to talk about concerned. I had my concerns because I know where you're going. We're going to talk Illinois here in a second. I had my concerns after Illinois struggled with Toledo, who's a a really good Mac team. But there are a lot of signs that said to me they're going to struggle against Kansas. And what happened? They got throttled in the first half by Kansas.
2: And that's what I expect to happen for K-State that's with Mizzou. That's exactly
3: what yeah. I expect because I see a lot of the same things where there's issues on the offensive line. The offense doesn't look good enough under the Kirby Moore system. And I, the kicking game is a major concern, missing a PAT, by the way. Um, Shocker. To where I, I go into – the I look at next week against Kansas State and I go – there's a lot of signs that show that this is not going to be a pretty performance and it may look a lot like last year. Now, look, I hope I'm wrong and you know, I'm not even a Mizzou fan, but I hope I'm wrong. Cause I think it would be great to see the programs around the area take steps forward right. and to see Missouri be competitive against Kansas state, if not win that game. And
2: that's probably the better reasoning why I'm frustrated with it. Because like, I want them to be successful. Like you've waited so long. We went through the Barry Odom area ever since Gary Pinkle, we've been waiting to get back to this. And you've seen spurts of excitement with drink. But it's not consistent, and that's where I think you fall flat with this one. So, let's talk about your team, because you thought Mizzou was bad. Look, Kansas is the better team of Middle Tennessee and Kansas, like, by far. But 28-7 to after the first half, T-Bone, what the hell happened?
3: Yeah, that was not an impressive performance from the Illini, and I want to address that text from the 917. Where is the 917? Okay, I you know, address it. I'm going to find out. I like that they said T-Bone and then had an emoji of like a steak. Uh, You've got no room <laughs> to talk. Illinois is terrible, brother. They got oh, waxed yeah. by a bad team. Guys, Kansas is not a bad football team. Kansas is going to be a threat to oh, the Big yeah. 12. Daniels is a legitimate quarterback, and I think I saw on the broadcast he won preseason Big 12 Player of the Year. Like, Kansas is a good football team. But with that being said, Illinois still disappointed over the weekend on Friday because they had some serious concerns after the Toledo game. And I raised those on the station on Friday when we talked about the swing game that we were calling it Illinois and Kansas offensive line. Got destroyed again. Altmaier never had any time. And honestly, I think it led Altmaier looking uncomfortable. I look at the defensive line. The defensive line was not great. Not having any pressure. Daniels was able to run. Had plenty of time. And also for the fact of the matter that they could not stop the run, allowing 262 rushing yards. And Daniels was impressive, throwing for 277. So the secondary struggled, and they couldn't figure out the concepts that Kansas was throwing at them. Illinois' ceiling dropped as well as Missouri this week. I thought Illinois was a team that could bounce back with another 8-win season. I think they're now looking at round six. If not, they're probably a fraudulent seven or eight one team. And I say fraudulent because they're in the Big Ten West, which is home to no good team in that conference. So
2: in a matter of two weeks, our local college football teams took us from optimistic and excited to pessimistic and very frustrated.
3: Yes, very much so.
4: I'd be willing to bet though, after next week, it's going to be more optimistic. I think both games for are going to both? I think both games are going to be close. Illinois and Penn State is always a close game. You're a gla- it's normally a close game. You're a glass half full kind of guy, aren't you, Grant? You know I'm feeling op- you, optimistic are you, are today. I am.
2: <laughs> it's a Monday and Grant is a happy camper. Let's see if we can break that mold at some point today Probably. for the next three hours. It's likely. Dude, it's Monday. <laughs> let's calm down. Air okay? comfort service text line is 314-399-9646. Look, everybody is going to be asking, so let's answer this now, and I'll answer it eight more times probably by the end of
3: the show. Our YouTube channel is down. BK, or er, BK. Grant forgot to hit play. Yeah, <laughs> Joe
2: Grant did not forget to Blame hit play. Me. Apparently uh, there are some issues behind the scenes. We're working to get them fixed, and when they're fixed, we will tell you, but no YouTube channel, so you don't get to see our pretty faces. We'll have to save those uh, for another day. Coming up next, Cardinals. Miles Miklas was in action last night. Didn't look pretty. And he and one other guy are going to be critical for 2024 if they can step their game up. We'll explain next year on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Well struck, deep left center, the first out- his 15th of the year and now benson blasts to right center big bat flip that's gone he stood and stared for a bit before he broke out of the box a couple of bombs for the reds early in the third Yeah, you know not a good game uh you know i felt pretty good but you know made a few too many mistakes
2: it's Miles Michaelis after the Cardinals' loss yesterday, missing out on the sweep against the Cincinnati Reds. Miles Michaelis's line: five and a third innings of work, seven hits, five earned runs, one walk, and two strikeouts. And look, this has been a theme for Miles in the second half. And alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. No BK today. The entire gang will be back together tomorrow uh, for like a week and a half and then BK's off again. I'm done with vacation, so I'll be here until uh, the Blues win the Stanley Cup in June. So just everybody get on board with that one. I don't
3: get vacation. No, so.
2: T-Bone's not allowed vacations, nor is Grant, so they're just going to always be here. But look, it's been a common theme for Miles Michaelis and, and the captain obvious statement that I could open up the segment is, Miles Michaelis has to be better next season. If this team Wants to have success. Yeah, I can say about fifteen other guys that have to be better for 2024. But the theme of Michaelis basically in his second half is 12 games started, a two and six record, 63 and two third innings, 40 earned runs, a 5.69 ERA. Strikeouts really aren't going to be there. But here's the part that concerns me most, T Bone. This is going back to the Miles Michaelis. I think it was the year following. Where he was in the Cy Young conversations, which would have been what, 2019? 18, yeah. 2018. The home runs. He's given up twelve or twelve home runs in those twelve games started. And Miles is not pitching like somebody that you slayed into that number three spot. Right now he's pitching kind of like a guy who'd be in a four or five in your rotation. And he has to pitch like a number three for this team to be successful next year. Because you know that they're going after a one and a two. They have to go after a one and two. But what they can't do is go after a one, two, and three, and have Miles Michaelis as a number four and Stephen Matz as a number five. In an ideal world, yes, that puts this team on the map because of their offense, and then you add some elite pitching. But you don't have the funds to do that, and frankly, I don't think there's enough guys out there that fall in line of a one, two, and three for your rotation. So this team needs Miles Michaelis to step up, and the other guy that I teased. Is Giovanni Gallegos because Gallegos has been way too inconsistent this season out of the bullpen. If we're acting like you need three high leverage arms right now, I have one that I'm comfortable with and that comfort level is very minimum with Jojo Romero, but otherwise it tells Lee and Gallegos and then I don't know who. So those two guys are going to be big X factors for 2024 if they don't step their game up to the needed level.
3: Yeah, you'd like to see Michael's finish things strong, and they've only got like 20 games to go, so he's probably got three, four starts left in him. But you'd like to see things start to turn around for Miles Michaelis because you mentioned his second-half numbers. He's not been very good. And I think you're right. I think the plan in in the offseason, look, I think it's become increasingly clear that you've got to add two arms that are ahead of him. There's no doubt about that. But – I think you really need him to be the three because I think you're either going into the year with Thompson as the five and Mats as the four or looking to sign someone on like a one-year deal that you kind of think is a number four for you that's got some swing and miss, but he's probably more of a five and dive guy and you want Michaels to be kind of the innings eater in that number three spot. So now he's still eating innings. Don't get me wrong. He's made 31 starts and he's covered 176 and a third and he's going to surpass probably 185, maybe 190 this year. But you would like to see him perform a little bit better because I think you're right. He is a guy that needs to pitch better than he is right now because he looks like a number five. Yeah. And if you're gonna go in the year and have him be an innings eater, well you'd like to see the numbers come down. Now the thing that is a little encouraging for me is the fact that we've seen him seen this happen before. Now he had 2018, which you mentioned, great year form, 18 and four, had a 2.83 ERA. 2019, it looks a little off, nine and fourteen with a 4.16. That was the
2: year I think he had the career high in home runs allowed yeah. of the season. Yeah, had a
3: trouble with the home run ball that year, and then he dealt with injuries, and then he had a really good year last year, which yeah. we know, and then it's back down again this year. And the hope is that he can get back more to like if he can just be 2019, Michaelis, 4.16 ERA, 4.27 FIP. That's the guy that you would like to see at least be that number three for you. So. I agree with you. I think he's a guy that's going to have to really be a factor in turning things around when you're not looking externally, because we all know they're going to have to look externally to help fix the team. But on the guys that need to step up and improve the team from the inside, Michael is one of them. And to your point on Giovanni Gallegos, I think he's looked better. We talked about him a little bit last week and how he just has not been the same guy. He has looked a little bit better recently, and it's because um, it was written in a paper by Derek Gould, working on the slider, working on setting himself up differently on the mound, which may have helped him out. So hopefully you see him finish strong because you're right. He's going to be one of those top-end relievers that the Cardinals look at and say, okay, how do we piece this thing together ideally when we look at our bullpen from ending six to nine? And right now, Helsley's there, Gio's there, JoJo's there. They probably need to add one more to that mix but you really would like to go in the offseason going, okay, we know Geo's in this. We can kind of lock him into that spot with Helsley, with JoJo. And right now, I think to your point, it's kind of up in the air. If you can really say Geo is a top three reliever for the St. Louis Cardinals going into 2024, because me and BK talked last week, you know, if his struggles continue, you got to look to add arms to kind of take the spot of Giovanni Gagos, not move on from Gio, but just take his spot and bump him down more to that 5th, 6th middle relief roll.
2: Yeah, well, and I think another high high leverage arm that they'll have in the bullpen is a guy that we saw pitch over the weekend, and it's not a guy that I think a lot of people are okay with, but I look at this as the Cardinals have to make this decision. Matthew Liebertor is a bullpen arm. And I know we've gone back and forth about this on the show. BK said it. We have pushed back, me included, saying, look, like give him some time. He's still young. And I understand that sentiment if there's a group of fans listening right now that, that again, say he's still young. Look at what he did against Tampa Bay. That's the type of guy he can be. I'm just not sure he's going to get back to that. And what I do see from Matthew Libertor is when he comes out of the bullpen, he's got electric stuff. I mean, in his last two games, he came out of the bullpen. We're talking four strikeouts and almost three innings pitched. And I look at this as Zach Thompson has pushed himself into the consideration for a pitcher in your starting rotation next year or at least competition, which opens up that left handed reliever spot that Zach Thompson would have already taken. And if you're going to try and lower the needs in the offseason of free agents or trades, just make Matthew Libetour a a bullpen guy. And I don't think it has to be so negative. Like, I always go back to the Andrew Miller, and frankly, Libertor reminds me of some of that with his swing-and-miss stuff. You put him in a bullpen role, specifically next year in high-leverage situations, you could benefit yourself with that type of arm without sitting here and trying to reach and push him into something that he's just not going to be able to.
3: Yeah, I I like what we've seen from him since he's been pushed to the bullpen, and I hope that they stick with it throughout the year, just keep him down there in the bullpen and kind of go through these outings like we're seeing recently, which is those, I don't want to call them high levers, although it was high leverage on Friday, and he looked great, got the strike, walked the first guy he saw with first and second two outs, but then got the big strikeout and then threw another great inning after that. I I like seeing him in these short burst outings because – the one issue that he had, as we know, was maintaining the velo on his fastball. Now, look, that's not everything, but when he can't – it's become at least evidently clear from what we've seen from him. When he can't locate the fastball, it leads to the curveball then yeah. not being as effective. And now that he's being able to locate the fastball, have that velo that's up, he can now play it off of the curveball, and honestly, even the slider that was up about a mile per hour in his last outing against the Cincinnati Reds. Now, can he play himself into a role in 2024 in terms of being a – high leverage reliever, I think that won't be determined until next year. But I do like what we are seeing, and I hope they keep him in the bullpen and continue to experiment with him here. I don't want to see him get stretched back out. I don't want to see him the rest of the year they go, well, you know what, he's been pitching well recently. What if we now go to three innings of relief? I hope that's not the case. I hope they continue throughout the rest of this season and say, you're going to be an inning to like maybe two innings guy, and we're going to use you as a... True bullpen arm, almost like we were using JoJo, but not in the high leverage spots unless he kind of earns that and you want to build that up down towards the stretch of the season. I don't want to see him be used as a starter. I don't want to see him be used as a long reliever for the rest of the season, let him continue to work out of the bullpen as a true bullpen arm. And then you can go into the off season. He can stretch back out and then you can determine the fate in spring training. But I like seeing what they are using him in right now as his current I just role. think
2: you need to point him in a direction. You pointed Zach Thompson in a direction and he's having success. Now, I think you need to point Matthew Libertor in a direction and look, he's gotten the starts this season. And I know people don't like it because you know, it is only one full season of this and he's been up and down with Memphis and now he's actually getting stabilized. But Every time we see him, it's either going to be three earned runs through four innings or eight earned runs through six innings. Like you're not going to get that in between of somebody who's going to outdo either what Zach Thompson has done or Dakota Hudson has done. So just put him in the role and know that next season I've got I've got Libertor. I've got Romero, I've got Helsley, and hopefully you get Gallegos who steps his game up. That's a good start to an offseason of needing to add those arms necessary for you to compete next year. Tanner Hendrickson, Grant Francis, I'm Alex Ferrari. We've got questions and answers coming up in 15 minutes, so send us your questions, 314-399-9646. That is our Air Comfort Service text line. But coming up next, week one of the NFL season, almost in the books, we've got our superlatives for week one next year on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
2: Boy, I can't tell you how happy I was that the NFL officially back this week. I told Grant and Tanner when I walked into the office today, it was very refreshing not turning on a Cardinals game since Thursday. Whoa. I know Thursday, football, Friday college football, Saturday college football, and then, of course, yesterday, had it on NFL Red Zone all day. But now that week one is almost officially in the books, alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario, let's do some NFL superlatives. We will talk about that uh, Bills and Jets game, which you'll hear here on 101 ESPN later on tonight. But let's start with week one, the team that impressed you the
3: most. T-Bone? There's a couple that impressed me, but the number one team that I'm going to turn to that really impressed me the most i i think it was the green bay packers i bk was telling me about jordan love and, you know maybe they can win the Love didn't look that great and, and Aaron jones looked awesome i laughed at bk you should have now i was definitely right about sam because that, that team barely beat the freaking cardinals um but jordan love looked great yesterday
2: see i thought sam howell looked better than jordan love
3: Oh, see, I I thought Love looked better, and maybe it was because I had less expectations on, I I guess I had low expectations for both. But any (laughs) time that I see that you can barely beat the Cardinals, doesn't make me feel great about you. Jordan Love was incredible against the Chicago Bears. 245 yards, three touchdown passes, 123.2 rating, QB rating, and a 73.4 QBR. Packers impressed me the most. Like, I'm not going to say that they're going to win the North yet, because I, I still believe that One, the Bears are better than what they showed yesterday. Um, And I still think the Vikings will be a team that will be in that conversation. But Green Bay was really impressive in their first outing. And it kind of turned my head of, oh, whoa, maybe I should be keeping an eye on Jordan Love because that was a really good performance.
4: Grant, I had two actually. Number one, the Dallas Cowboys. Anytime you put (laughs) up 40 and shut out the opposition, mind you, the opposition was a playoff team last season that won a playoff game. 40-0 40 nothing's pretty insane, that was in New York, too. So uh, Dallas is probably number one for me. Number two would be San Francisco. That game was supposed to be close. It was not. Yeah. 23-point difference in that one, 30-7. Um, the 49ers looked good right from the start, and they looked
2: like they're just carrying over what they were doing last season. San Francisco is a good one. I, I mean, a lot of people were doubting Brock Purdy and the decision to move on from Jimmy G, and they just basically proved, like, yeah, we're good. We can handle this with Brandon Ayuk and McCaffrey and Debo Samuel and George Kittle and this offensive line. Yeah, Brock Purdy's going to be fine. Dallas was my ultimate pick there. I mean, it's hard to not pick that team, but I'll go one different. The Cleveland Browns. Yeah, I, I really and maybe this is just some of Cincinnati just being too super hyped and zero preseason action for their quarterback. It looked bad. But Cleveland looked good. And I think what was most impressive about that performance was Deshaun Watson, his ability to run. Because last season, it was not there for them. Like, you could tell the Deshaun Watson that we typically know in football was not playing for the Cleveland Browns. And a lot of the outside stuff comes into that. But this first week his scrambling ability and the ability to make something out of nothing was very impressive to me so they would kind of be a
3: dark horse on my side see i was not impressed with cleveland because i think the whole reason that score was lopsided was because the weather played to the advantage of the cleveland browns because now yes i do agree it was a little it was better to see watson running he was not very good as a passer 154 yards and a touchdown now look that could be because of the weather but the weather made that game very much in favor of the Cleveland Browns and their style where they just hand the ball to Chubb and let Chubb go to work, who carried the ball again for a hundred plus yards. I'm not going to be willing to say that either. I, I'm not willing to say I'm disappointed in the Bengals and I'm not that impressed with the Cleveland Browns because the weather was just too much of a factor in that game for me. Hey, so- what's
4: a, what's a bigger fluke? The Bengals and Browns game or the Rams and Seahawks game?
3: Oh, well, talk Talk about most disappointing team.
4: We
2: don't need to talk about that game because that is my most disappointing team. Seattle Seahawks. Like, what the bleep? We'll get to our picks a little bit later on in the show. But like, seriously, you've got Metcalf, Lockett, Smith and Jigba, Kenneth Walker, Charbonnet, and that's what you do against that team? Like, I understand. We all saw the uh, viral video of uh, Geno Smith with Aaron Donald rushing him going, oh, my God, and throwing the ball away. Again, oh <laughs>
3: away. great. Oh, my God. So good. Oh, my God. Just
4: get rid of it. That's me when I uh, realized I didn't put a bet in and then we're in the last spot before <laughs> the uh, break-ins.
2: Yeah, Yeah, I've been there before. But, like, that's... That made me so pessimistic about Geno Smith, and I get it's week one, and like everything will be fine, we're going to do a panic or patience a little bit later, but that was my most disappointing team, because I thought an entire offseason you'd be more prepared for an L.A. Rams team that didn't have Cooper Cup, that didn't have Jalen Ramsey, and that's the performance you laid on the home field. That was terrible.
3: Yeah, I I think they're by far the biggest disappointment. I'll give you another one here in just a second, but I got to go off on the Seahawks because I was here telling you they could win the NFC. I was making my Seahawks sound you go, ah, 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 And that bird got shot out of the sky by the Rams. Holy crap.
2: What's going uh, What's that? What's ski
3: shooting? Right? <laughs> yeah, they were terrible. I mean, you're right. I mean, the LA Rams, look, they got Aaron Donald. That's about it for that la rams team on defense and geno smith 112 yards they did not run the football which i don't even understand that because one that is like prime pete carroll two the Rams starters were playing in the preseason mind you and they were giving up about six yards per carry and then you only give the ball to walker 12 times now part of that because you fall behind and then defensively kyron williams ends up being the guy that ends up burning you. Yeah. And then you look at the passing game, 2-2 freaking Atwell no, has 119 a receiving yards. Paku
2: Nachuo or whatever. The dude had 150 Puka, receiving yards. Puka
3: Nakua, I think that's yeah. so pronounced. Something like that. Had him on my best ball team. 119 yards. That that can't happen if you're the Seahawks. You want to talk about, we talked about Mizzou and Illinois being disappointing and their ceilings coming down from this weekend. <laughs> Yeah. Seattle went from contender to potentially pretender in one week.
2: <laughs> well, they need to keep that first round pick because maybe they can go after Caleb Williams because that was embarrassing.
3: Uh, the the other disappointment for me that I think has to be on this list, I I gotta throw it out there for um, the Minnesota Vikings.
2: Yeah, that was my Absolutely.
3: other one. Twenty to seventeen against Tampa Bay. Look, I didn't think Minnesota would be a great defensive team <clears throat> this year. Your offense couldn't couldn't finish. Forty
2: one 20- yards rushing.
3: unbelievable as a team.
2: Uh, This is somebody who drafted Madison and his fantasy football team. So just a
3: total disappointment from the Minnesota Vikings at home against Tampa Bay and Baker Mayfield. And you lose 20 to 17. That's a big disappointing week for Minnesota.
4: Yeah, I totally agree. I think they're feeling the effects of losing Dalvin cook. And, I mean, you had a running back that was performing for you year after year, and they were so one-dimensional, they became predictable Mm -hmm. in that game, and they allowed that defense to just take over. They only put up 17 points, and that Tampa Bay team is not good. It wasn't even that, too, though. Like, how many drop passes did they have?
2: Like, between Addison and Osborne, they had like five or six drop passes in the first quarter. And, I mean, look, I I can shoot down Kirk Cousins all day, but when he's putting it in your chest and you're dropping it, there's a problem there. You know what? Give credit to Kirk Cousins, too. He actually had a
4: pretty decent game. Yeah, he ended up really going 33 for yeah. 44. I love the fact so. that
2: all he does is just throw the ball. Like, when he realizes the running back is terrible, he's like, no, nah, we're just going to throw it.
3: Yeah. Believe but, it. By the way, most disappointing player, and I, I'm sure we're, we're probably going to have somewhat of agreement on this, Ryan Tannehill. Dude, oh, what, yeah. what the hell are Absolutely. we doing? Ryan Tannehill was terrible against the Saints.
2: Well, Ryan Tannehill and Geno Smith would be my two.
3: Yeah, Geno definitely belongs But I mean, on both were in the same category in terms but, of
2: looked confused on the field.
3: But the Titans basically going back to their old formula, which yeah. was, hey, we got a big wide receiver in DeAndre Hopkins, kind of like what you used to in A.J. Brown. Now, granted, Brown definitely better than where Hopkins is at this oh, yeah. point in his career. And we're going to run the ball with Derrick Henry. Tannehill, all you got to do, you just got to be an average quarterback. He was not that yesterday. No. Three turnovers, 198 yards, 16 and 34, 10.3 QBR. Look, I say the Titans might be able to compete in the AFC. Not if they're going to get that kind of quarterback play. Yeah. That was quarterback play that says we need a new quarterback. Well, and an offensive line, too,
2: that gave him no time and space. But still, like with all of those weapons and knowing that Derrick Henry, I mean, Derrick Henry bursted for like a 50-yard run after catching a pass from Ryan Tannehill. And then when you get into a panic mode, there's nothing for you. So yeah, I agree with that one in terms of most disappointing player. All right, let's do this one real quick and then we'll get to questions and answers on the other side. Who was the rookie that impressed you the most in week one
3: for me Zay flowers. He looks like the weapon that Baltimore has been really missing on offense. You know, I I thought OBJ was going to be that guy. That's why I've been so high on, uh, the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah, I, didn't, didn't, I didn't know if Bateman would be that great. They but, didn't use
2: Beckman very much in that game. No. Yeah.
3: Trust me. as a guy that took him on a lot of daily fantasies. Same, buddy. Uh, but, no, I thought Zay Flowers was great for the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, great performance from him. He looks like a true weapon that they now have that they can throw the ball to. I'd say Zay Flowers easily, for me, was the best rookie this this week.
4: Great. I really like Bijan Robinson, too. He looked great. Did you see a little shimmy he had on that one play to shake the defender? It's what like, we call swag, right? Yeah. I mean... It was against the Panthers, so note that a little bit. But still, he looked great for the Falcons.
2: Yeah, I liked Zay Flowers. Jordan Anderson was the other one. Like When he caught that touchdown, I'm thinking, oh, man, they got another weapon that they can use. And then, of course, he dropped a few. But I think by the end of this season, we're going to be talking about him in that conversation towards the end of the year. Um, Quarterback-wise, did any of the three rookie quarterbacks impress you? Because, honestly, it started out impressive with Bryce Young, and then it ended with, meh, okay and it was right around the same category as the other two. C.J. Stroud was probably the least interesting to me, and I was expecting more from him this season than what we saw in Week 1.
3: Yeah, you know, I think Richardson kind of impressed me. It was kind of what I expected. You know, probably wasn't going to throw for a ton of yards. He ended up throwing for more than I actually thought at 223. had a touchdown interception, carried the ball 10 times for 40 yards. It, It looked like an offense that you kind of expected, which was, Hey, we want to use his legs, utilize Richardson's legs, and we'll see what he looks like as a passer. And I, I thought he played well. I mean, he gave the Colts a shot. They only lost by ten to Jacksonville, who I thought had a chance to just completely destroy yeah. them. And they were they weren't huge favorites, but they were favored by more than three. I, I was kind of impressed with Anthony Anthony Richardson. I've been the lowest of them on the show. I'm I'm more intrigued to see what he looks like as the season goes on.
2: By the way, the rookie that I completely forgot about, Jameer Gibbs. like Jameer Gibbs oh, yeah. looked like the real deal for Detroit. I just hope that they use them more uh, as they move along uh, throughout the NFL season. That's our NFL Week 1 Superlatives. We'll get into panic or patience in the 12 o'clock hour. Tanner Hendrickson, Grant Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up next, send us your questions. 314-399-9646. We'll answer them on the Air Comfort Service text line next on questions and answers here on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the P.K. and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe it's P.K. and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN.
2: 314 399 9646 Air Comfort Service Text Line. It's time for questions and answers. We got Katie Wu on the other side, Cardinals Insider for the Athletic. So we'll get to her in about 10 minutes or so. But let's get to these questions from the 314 fellas. Betting-wise, how did your weekend go in football?
3: Oh, not great. Uh
2: somebody took a shot at us for our for our picks, which we'll get to at the end of the show.
3: Well, um, I mean, I did well in that.
2: It, if I would just Put my money where my mouth is in terms of Actually betting what I say I would be So much better off but I never do I say it and then I second guess it and I Don't bet
4: it's either that or When you do bet it just goes to hell
2: Like (laughs) and
4: actually I had one That was pretty close this weekend um, For college football wise so I kind of go off the board with my Upset picks I like to pick the ones that are kind of a little crazy odds, but ones that I can see happening. Oh, you're like, like me just putting an eight leg parlay together to see if you can win 50 grand. See, but this one was actually, well, I don't want to say realistic, but it was only a two leg parlay. It was um, Rice beating Houston, which happened. And I think that was like plus 400. And then I had Appalachian State beating, who would they play, North Carolina? And that one went to double overtime. They ended up losing. Oh my I but that, one, that
2: one was plus 800? I would have been livid yeah. if mine went to double so overtime close. and I lost on that one.
3: Yeah, I did not win anything over the weekend. And I was close on a couple NFL parlays, but. It's just nice to have it back, though, isn't it? Well, in theory, it's well, nice. You know, but when I, I saw, was placing
2: the bets, it was nice to yeah, have a back. One of these weeks. And yes. then I saw, how much, weeks. Then I saw how much uh,
3: disappeared, and I went, oh, this is not. <laughs> and, I realized then I'm I remember, eating ramen
2: noodles the rest of the yeah, week.
3: Then I remembered how stressful it actually <laughs> is to watch on Sundays going, oh, man, I really need them to cover four. They're only up three. They're going to take knees. Oh. oh,
2: gosh. From the 636 on our air comfort service text line, fellas, did anybody change your mind in terms of Super Bowl contender after week? one, I mean, it's pretty obvious Dallas did, right? Like that game Dak was bad and they still dominated that that defense might be is going to be the best in the NFL this season. Like there's no question unless injuries overcome them. It's going to be hard to top that. They'll find a way. Yeah. <laughs> they always do. I guess
3: I, I don't know if it's I wouldn't say Dallas for me because I kind of thought they may have a shot to be a team that could can, maybe not contend well, get to the Super Bowl, but I think whoever gets out of the AFC is the team that everybody's going to favor. I think Miami was the team for me. Um, they looked awesome with their offense. I, If Tua can stay healthy, and again, that's a really big if, I always have kind of viewed them as kind of a second-tier team. They look great offensively. I mean, Tyreek Hill, eleven receptions, 215 yards, Waddle four for 78, Tua threw yeah. for over 400 yards. They've got just a dynamic offense. I, I would say Miami was the team for me that – kind of changed my Super Bowl feel for if them. If they
2: get Jonathan Taylor in a trade, which I don't know if they will since that got nixed on what they were offering, I guess it becomes to how desperate they'll they'll be on that that Super Bowl juggernaut conversation for me. I st- I'm still not completely sold on that. Maybe it's because of Tua, maybe it's just because the defense has been up in the air, like it's always a shootout with that team but they're going to be on that level with me moving forward. Dallas was just so freaking good last night. I think if there's another one for me,
4: it would be Green Bay, just because you had so many question marks coming into the season, especially surrounding Jordan Love and with how great he looked on Sunday. I think that changes relative to expectations and with how bad the NFC is. I could see the NFC playoffs just being a crapshoot. And someone that you don't expect will get in. Um, I could see like this year being the season where like a four or five seed or even a wild card team could somehow run the playoffs in the NFC and end up making it to the Super Bowl. So with all that said, I think Green Bay um, really upped their chances for me.
2: From the 314 on our air comfort service text line 314-399-9646. Guys, you talked Mizzou at the open of the show. Is there anything that could happen this season for drink to be fired in the offseason?
3: I mean, I think everything's on the table. I was gonna
2: say, if you go, if you go less than seven wins, I think you really have to have that discussion.
3: I I don't know if I'm at less than seven because I think six and six, he's still probably here because he's got a great recruiting class coming in. That's fair. Um, I think below 500, I think there start to become conversations, and anything below five wins, which I don't see happening. By the way, like I still think they're a six win team, even though it was very disappointing this week. If he wins only four games. And again, that's hard to imagine because that would basically mean beating Memphis, beating Vanderbilt, and then losing every swing game on the schedule. And they should beat Florida. They're not a good football team. That's what I thought until um, I watched
2: Mizzou play Middle Tennessee.
3: I That would be the thing that I would say. I think five wins, it starts to become really hot seat. Anything below that, he's definitely gone.
4: I think where he could get into trouble is these games that are the Kentucky, South Carolina, Florida, and Arkansas games. The games that... Could go either way you look at the teams And they're they're sort of similar in how you look At them if they do poorly in most of those games That's where I think you start looking to move On or if you have a game like Say Memphis or Vanderbilt Coming up and they play like they did against Middle Tennessee State, and you potentially get upset in one of those games, that's where he gets into trouble, too.
2: Yeah, well, and T-Bone is right. Like, six wins, your recruiting class is going to set you over the top. Like, Ty goes to the runner. Ty's going to go to the guy who can recruit if you get six wins. My only reason behind less than seven wins is because you're not showing any progress. You're either doing the same thing or you're regressing, and that is a problem, especially when you're in, what is it now, week four or year four for drink? And I know typically the windows what about five years, four years before you get there, but like you gotta start showing some signs of progression if you're gonna if you're gonna stay in this position.
3: Yeah, I think this year six wins is fine. I don't know if it is next year.
2: Well, and correct me if I'm wrong, but these guys that you just recruited that are five star guys, those are going to be a piece of the equation next year. Yeah. So that's probably what's going to keep him in that position to where you can. But look, I mean, people being concerned is very fair after the Middle Tennessee game. But now you're starting to get to the thicker portion of this schedule, and we're going to find out what they look like once they take on K State uh, later this weekend. Tanner Hendrickson, Graham Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up next, Katie Wu, our Cardinals insider for the Athletic. She's going to join us to talk Michaelis and more. Next on 101 ESPN. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. It is BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN as we head to our celebrity line now and welcome in our Cardinals insider of The Athletic. You can follow her on Twitter at Katie J. Wu. Be sure to be checking out all of her work on the Cardinals at The Athletic. She joins us now here on 101 ESPN. Katie, how are you?
0: You guys, happy Monday um, from Baltimore. Apparently, I honestly didn't know what day it was or what city. Just that type of year, but or that time of year. But it should be a good one either way.
2: Katie, did you uh, did you ever have those those Christmas wreath chain link things that you put up on your room when you were a kid and you kind of stripped one off every day? It got closer to Christmas. Do you have one of those for the Cardinal season?
0: <laughs> you know what? Honestly, no. Although it may seem you know like we're just counting the days down. Um, I'm not there yet. I, I still feel like there's, even though they're not mathematically eliminated, but they're pretty much eliminated. I still feel like there is, there's there's some in the next three weeks to figure out some things, to answer some questions uh, about what the Cardinals could do in the off season. So I'm trying to, to focus on that because let's be honest, guys, it's a miserable season, but around November, like Thanksgiving time, we're all going to be like, is it spring training yet?
2: Very true. Very. So, what are some of those things, Katie, that you're still hoping to get answers for, or look towards for the off season with this team?
0: I think it's all about individual performances, and we've talked about this before. But what the Cardinals can do in the next three weeks is maybe try to find an early jump start on some of the questions that they need answered. So, Jordan Walker's development in right field is, I think, maybe their biggest thing to sort out. Um, the defense, the the defensive improvement that he has made working alongside Willie McGee for the last two, three months, I think has really been encouraging to the Cardinals. The defensive metrics on Jordan Walker at the end of the year are not going to show that he is uh, an above replacement level outfielder. Um, that's just kind of how it's going to be. The Cardinals don't care about that at this point right now. They will eventually. But right now their biggest thing is, is he improving? And I think he's shown so much growth and so much improvement over the last two months that the Cardinals have been uh, able to kind of take a deep breath and say, okay, hey, this could work here. Because um, it wasn't pretty in the beginning. But I think the the improvements Jordan's made in terms of that first step, uh, hitting the cutoff man, going back to the wall, those things are all super encouraging. And I think the Cardinals like to see even more of that over the next three weeks.
3: Katie, one player that's really impressed me in its last – Two outings coming out of the bullpen here down the stretch is Matthew Libertor. I think his stuff's look great coming out of the pen. Is this something that could be where Libertor finds a new home going into 2024?
0: Yeah, this is a great question. And if uh, Jordan Walker's development is uh, the number one thing I'm looking at, Matthew Libertor's potential as a high leverage reliever is number two. Um, just because when we talk about Libby and what he needs to do to be successful, it all comes back to sustaining velocity, Right. And sometimes the best way to sustain velocity is to just go out there for one, two innings and give it everything you have. Um, We've seen it in Cincinnati. He came out was at 97. Good command over the curveball. Was spotting the fastball. He looked good. Um, The Cardinals are going to need to find starting pitching, sure. And finding depth, especially internally, is going to be really important. But for Libby, I think he's looked really good as a in the limited times we've seen him in a high leverage role the Cardinals also will need that next season uh, with their bullpen. So why not try it uh, so far so good and I, I actually think this could be a really good development for the Cardinals and for Libby, you know in terms of if it doesn't work out as a starter, he will have this four pitch arsenal and he can hit Velo that stays upper 90s uh, and that could be an absolute game changer for St. Louis next year if he does indeed stay in this relief role.
2: Katie, as a follow-up to that, the pushback that I've seen from a lot of Cardinals fans is, well, he's too young to put him in the bullpen. He needs to be a starter and let it get worked out. Is it a failure for the Cardinals if Libertor becomes an every, or for an entire season, becomes a bullpen arm?
0: I don't think so, because, look, I know, guys, that we're, we're really stuck on how much the Cardinals need starting pitching, and for obvious reasons, but they really need high-leverage arms in the bullpen as well. Um, look, Libby, I think, has so much talent, and I totally understand the argument in terms that he's young, so why give up on him as a starter? I don't think the Cardinals are making any kind of decision long-term on what his future will be over the next three weeks, but they are trying to see all of the options that they have with Libby, and if he ends up being a high-leverage guy that they can use in the 8th or the ninth, um, and you have someone that can complement Ryan Helsley and Giovanni Gallegos next year, I don't think that's a failure at all, Uh, especially if Libby, if that's the role that he can be truly successful in. I'm not saying he can't be successful as a starter, but I think if you're just able to find a place for Libby next year consistently where you know what to expect out of him and the results continue to be good, I think that's a win regardless of what that role is.
3: Katie, one one pitcher who's been struggling since the second half has been Miles Michaelis. Do the Cardinals have? I don't, I don't know if I want to call it concern with Michaelis because you know he's going to eat innings. But is it becoming clear to the Cardinals that they have to find two pitchers that will upgrade over Miles in the offseason, or was that always the plan?
0: Yeah, that's a great point about Miles and his durability because I think that is a uh, a, a, a trait that isn't maybe. Because of how he's performed this year from a staff perspective, it's kind of taken for granted. But he has taken the ball. He has eaten a lot of innings. But he does need to be better, and he said as much uh, yesterday. I wouldn't say there is, like you said, concern. But I do think that the Cardinals are looking. If if the Cardinals are having a successful offseason, Miles Michaelis is your number three or number four in the rotation last year. And that's always been their plan, regardless of how this season has gone for him. It's been frustrating. I know Miles is far from happy about it. When you look at the win loss record, the ERA, and it's been uh, a little difficult to understand because he is so effective with that arsenal. Weak contact, you know, he can generate swing miss when he needs to. But by that is no, that's no means or by no means the name of his game. And I think with Miles, if if he doesn't have all five pitches of that arsenal working it's really easy for opposing hitters to guess what's next because he's so effective in the strike zone. He doesn't throw a lot of balls. He's going to pound the zone consistently, but all year long, it, I think the pitch is varied, but one of those pitches in that arsenal, he has not had control over and the lack of command and whatever pitch that is has made it easy for pitchers or for hitters to eliminate uh, the types of pitches that are coming in. And I think it's led to, to a big, big deficit in terms of what the Cardinals wanted to see with miles holding down the ERA. So yes, I do think the Cardinals are going to need to add two pitchers that rank above Miles, but I, I do think that's been their plan all along.
3: How much do you think the defense has been a thing that has affected Miles this year? Because the defense wasn't great early on yet. Arnado having a down year. You mentioned Walker, who's been improving. How much of that factors into what we've seen from Miles this year?
0: I'm not sure if it's one of the like, top three factors. I'm sure it plays into a little bit, but the Cardinals have actually been a pretty good defensive club in the second half. I think for Miles, it's just, you know, a variety of things in terms of of what's plaguing him. Look, he's always been a guy that gives up a lot of home runs. You know, his home run rate's high, but usually it's not too damaging because he doesn't have a lot of, he doesn't walk a lot of guys, he doesn't allow a lot of base runners. Um, But again, I think it comes down to being effective in the zone, and he just hasn't been effective to the degree that he or the Cardinals are satisfied with. Again, I think it goes back to opposing hitters being able to eliminate pitches coming out of that arsenal, being able to sit essentially on the pitches that they're expecting. Um, so Miles was, I think, very candid, very professional about his outing yesterday in terms of, you know, there's a lot of things that he has an idea of what's wrong. He doesn't want to speculate because, you know, he's pretty frustrated, but he has a pretty good idea of what he needs to fix. And if there's one thing the Cardinals are confident in Miles Michael's it's that he will be able to take the ball for them every five days, they certainly don't and to say a season like this next year from him. And, you know, I think when you look at the overall body of work Miles had in his career, I think it's easy to be pretty confident about what he can do next year.
2: Katie, uh, final one from me. When it comes to the other pitchers who have at least been trying out for that rotation next year, Zach Thompson, Dakota Hudson, both have been impressive uh, really since they've taken over one of the spots in the rotation is there any concern from you that maybe this success for them is going to put the Cardinals in a position that they overvalue these guys in terms of their rotation next year?
0: They better not. Um, and look, this is no uh, no discredit to Dakota Hudson and Zach Thompson, who have been really effective in the second half since the trade deadline. Uh, I think we're seeing a completely different Dakota Hudson. We're seeing Zach Thompson find some... Confidence, and he could maybe be a, a reliable rotation arm next year. But I think John Mozeliak was pretty clear uh, last month when he said this: no matter how the internal options end their year, they, the Cardinals still need three starters. And I think that's true. Even if Dakota Hudson and Zach Thompson finish the season uh, about as perfect as they can be, I don't think that will change the Cardinals' philosophy in the off-season uh, because if, if it does. That's essentially the exact same philosophy that plagued them this year. And if a season like this, a historically bad season, one of the worst seasons uh, in the last, I don't know, three decades in St. Louis, if that doesn't change your philosophy or your perspective, I'm not sure if anything will. Uh, But I I do think the Cardinals are very aware of the starting pitching that they need for next year. And I don't think how Dakota Hudson, Zach Thompson, Matthew Libertore, Drew Rahm, any of those guys, finish their year, will change their offseason plans of getting three starters. At least it shouldn't.
3: Well, one arm that the Cardinals will probably be connected to is Blake Snell. And it was reported over the week, and the Padres not expected to re-sign him, and they are expecting him to get somewhere in the $200 million range. Is that something that you think the Cardinals could target? We know Blake Snell's got great stuff, but he walks the world, and he doesn't go deep into games. Will they be willing to give him $200 million on a multi-year deal, Katie?
0: I don't think so, and this is obviously when you think about Blake Snell, you're like, yeah, I want that on my rotation. I mean, he's one of the National League Cy Young candidates for a reason. But Blake Snell is going to set the market, and he's deserved so with the season that he's had. Um, for those those traits that you mentioned, the Tanner in terms of walk rate and not going deep into games, and his price that he is going to uh, acquire, I think it would be really difficult for the Cardinals to go out and do that because they don't need just one guy; they need several. So, for me, it's hard to see the Cardinals going out and spending an unprecedented amount of money for this organization on one arm when they could use that same amount of money and get two, right? You were thinking about like a Sonny Gray and accompanying that with, with an Alex Cobb if he does become available or something like that. That, I think, is more realistic. I'm not ruling it out by, many, by any means, but I do think because of what Smell is going to cost and because he doesn't exactly profile. To what the Cardinals are looking for. They would probably not overspend for him, but I do think the Cardinals are going to be willing to spend a lot more than we've seen in years prior, just on a different name. And if I'm going to go out and if I'm going to target anyone, I think that the name that makes the most logical fit is indeed Sonny Gray.
2: She's Katie Wu. Follow her on Twitter, at KatieJWu. Check out her work on the Athletic. She's got a piece out talking about Jordan Walker and right field and his growth this season. Katie, always appreciate the time, and we'll talk with you next Monday. You got it, guys. Thanks. Have a good one. There you go. It's Katie Wu uh, here with us on BK and Ferrario. I understand what she just said there at the end, uh, T-Bone, but uh, that's also my concern of you're not getting a number one. Like, I know Sonny Gray is a legit upgrade over anybody you have in your system, but Sonny Gray is at best a number two. And if you're going to go Sonny Gray and Alex Cobb or whomever you're going to put in there— I still think you're missing out on that top tier guy. And I understand what she's saying because it is a lot of capital to spend on one pitcher that you're not able to spend elsewhere, but figure it out because Sonny Gray and Alex Cobb doesn't get me excited for twenty twenty four.
3: yeah, i I would push back on that a little bit because I though I do think Snell is a one. I don't know if he's the guy that the Cardinals are necessarily looking for this off because of what you because of the walk traits. Yeah, no, I, mine's Nola. Mine's Nola's, not Snell. Nola's the guy. Now I think they probably do need to come away with Aaron Nola, but I don't even know if Nola's a one. To be fair, like I understand what you're saying, Gray Cobb, you know Imanaga. If they were to go after him, I understand it's not a great off season, or not a exciting off season, I should say it is still a pretty good off season to bring in two twos to be at the top of that rotation, and then you try and figure out the one in years to come. But the reason I would say I'm a little bit more optimistic about that if they did make those signings is because I think with this offense, you can kind of mask not having a one. You can't mask not having three quality arms in your rotation like they had this year but you could probably mask if you were to go out and get a Sonny Gray or an Imi, uh, Imanaga, but I do agree with you. I think Nola's probably the top target, and I think Snell's just too risky for what the Cardinals need. If they just needed one starter this offseason, I probably would be saying, hey, go, you need that number one. Like going into this past year, we said, hey, they got to go get a number one. they got to go get a number one. They, they've got pitching. They just need a number one. I would be saying then they need to get Snell, but there's a lot of signs to me that just say he's too much of a risk for the Cardinals, and I think Katie's right. If they sign Blake Snell... He's going to take up a massive chunk of their budget going into next year to where instead of going away with three starters, then we probably are getting into the conversation of signing two and then looking at Thompson to fill into the rotation. If I'm going to
2: spend that much money, I'm going to go get Yamamoto. I'm I'm going to get a younger guy and get more years out of it rather than somebody who's probably going to be good for me for 2 years and then fall apart and then I'm in deep trouble. We'll talk more about those pitchers and how the market's been set for at least the lower tier of that starting pitchers, but coming up next, panic or patience. I'm sure a lot of you are going to just say it's patience after week 1, but there's some teams that might scream panic. We'll discuss that next here on 101 ESPN. <laughs>
1: We're right back to the P.K. and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
0: Count that,
2: that big All right, it's time for a little game that we like to call panic or panic. Around the NFL, one week in the books, you know everybody's going to be over-exaggerating and getting worked up about their team having a miserable start to
3: the season. I wore my Super Bowl shirt for the Rams because <laughs> I know did. we're going undefeated and winning it all. He knows after that that's going to be
2: the best week that they've ever had until Cooper Cup comes back, I mean, and then they'll figure it out you from there.
3: Celebrate when you can. Yeah, you know?
2: you absolutely do. So let's let's pounce on those uh, over-exaggerated emotions right now around the NFL, and let's start with the team that everybody expected to fight for a super bowl this year the cincinnati Bengals, joe burrow and that 250 plus million dollars that he just signed for left some money for the receivers though t-bone that's the good news they lose to the browns on the road 24 to 3 are we hitting the panic button are we gonna ride that patience bus
3: i'm patient man everybody relax in cincinnati it was raining, and I saw the text where it was like, <laughs> That's the well, excuse." everybody plays in the rain if it's raining there. Well, the, yes, two for two in rain, is, the Giants couldn't score anything. That is true. Well, they were just clearly dominated. But like It was well, raining. But the thing for the, for the Bengals, one, you mentioned it earlier, Burrow did not uh, practice a lot in training camp because of his calf injury. And then, two, just with the weather there, it suited the Cleveland Browns better because I didn't think Watson had a great game. I, I really don't. I, I don't think he was that impressive. But they can just run the ball better than the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, people would say the Bengals' defense should have been better. I think the defense was fine. I'm not concerned about the Bengals. I still think they're a Super Bowl threat. I still think they're a threat to the Chiefs. I'm going gonna, gonna to remain patient.
4: I'm with you. I will say I am more um, into the Ravens now to win that division over the
2: Bengals. <laughs> you but... want to talk about looking bad, Lamar Jackson.
4: Well, yeah, Oof. but but still, I, I have more faith in the Ravens at this point than what the Bengals just did against Cleveland. But two weeks of this, then I'll be panicking a little bit. Yeah. Right now, I'm patient. Yeah,
2: they're going to get the the uh, patient treatment here. I don't. You're going to go one and one after week two, and then we're going to be we're going to forget about week one later in the year. So the patience bus needs to be intact for the Cincinnati Bengals. Not so much for the Seattle Seahawks, though. Thirty to thirteen loss. We talked about it a little earlier. This is absolutely panic for me. And here's why. Because when they stopped running the ball and they were down, Geno Smith looked lost out there. That offensive line was letting way too much, and I know Aaron Donald was on that team, but they were letting way too much get to the quarterback. He was hurried, and then there was nothing left to go. So basically the Seahawks need to have the lead, otherwise they get into panic mode. So I'm a little panicky right now. I thought Geno Smith was going to have a good rebound year after what he did last year. And now I'm a little skeptical with it. I think they might need a quarterback.
3: Yeah, I'm going to panic on the Seattle Seahawks because they lost in all phases in that game. It wasn't just Geno. Geno was bad, and I think part of that was because, for whatever reason, the offensive line could not block that terrible Rams defensive line. Now, look, the Rams still have Donald. He's still clearly a threat. They've got no pieces around him, and they were still getting pressure on Geno Smith. They didn't do anything great defensively. They couldn't shut down the L.A. Rams in the second half consider me panicked with the seattle seahawks think about
2: what he just said they couldn't shut down the rams who didn't have cooper cup and, in the second half
3: and i'm a i'm a rams fan so i listen to rams podcast the best way i was hearing the rams offensive line described during training camp was it's a whole lot of depth it's a it's a deep offensive line with pieces that shouldn't be starters And it's like, well, okay, well, that's not great to hear. And they're trying (laughs) to force a contract to work out by moving a guy that's a left tackle to right guard. And it all ended up panning out and they end up destroying the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah. Call me panicked. Yeah,
4: I think this is the biggest panic out of any team. And add on to that, the fact that you are at home in a divisional game where you're supposed to have one of the best home field advantages in the NFL. Yeah, it's it's panic time just after week one for Seattle
2: let's go to the Minnesota Vikings Uh, they lose to the Bucks the Baker Mayfield led Buccaneers 20 to 17 I'm going to say patience here I think a lot of people are going to go on the panic side because they didn't have a running game and their defense still couldn't get the stop when they needed them to but I think a lot of that game was, in the first half, the amount of dropped balls that were there. They've got the weapons in Addison and Osborne and Jefferson and Hawkinson. I think Madison will be better than what he was in week one. And then Kirk Cousins basically brought them back from the dead. Uh, I'm going to stick with patience here with the Minnesota Vikings.
3: I'm going to stick with patience, but I was leaning towards panic because... I convinced you, didn't I? No. Oh, okay. uh, but no, I've always thought that they had weapons problem was is they it's clearly don't have a run game and they gave up 20 points to tampa bay and i don't think the defense is that great and i think it's only going to get exposed as the year goes along so i think it's more patience just because i think expectations are fairly low for the minnesota vikings yeah
4: i said it last week i thought that this could be a game out of all the games that we could see potential big upsets i thought this one was one of them um just because the vikings are so inconsistent and they blow leads constantly like this is who they are we found that out over the past few years Like this is who they are They they blow games that they should win And yet they still find a way to make it into the playoffs And in a week in FC They're probably still going to do that Do I think that they're going to compete for a championship? Absolutely not But I think they'll be in the playoffs still So no, I'll be patient with them
2: Another one that I'm panicked about which frankly I don't even think I'm panicked because I expected this were the Pittsburgh Steelers 30 to 7 lose to the 49ers lose to Brock Purdy uh, that basically has their way with them I'm panicking and again I don't even know if it's considered panic because I did not have expectations for Pittsburgh I know Mike Tomlin is an incredible head coach but I I'm just not buying the Kenny Pickett hype I don't think he's going to be good enough for Pittsburgh um, and I think you saw that a little bit there defensively Look, I can understand you're not being able to stop San Francisco. I mean, they got a really good offense, even with Brock Purdy, a quarterback. But, man, that offense for Pittsburgh looks like they're going for a uh, a tough season ahead.
3: Yeah, I'm going to panic because I was kind of big on Kenny Pickett, and I still am. I think he can still have a really good year, and I still think he's the franchise quarterback moving forward. But that was not an impressive first start, and I no. get it. San Francisco's got a great team. I still expect a little bit more from the Pittsburgh Steelers offensively, and they really struggled defensively, but I kind of could see that coming with just the weapons that the San Francisco 49ers have. The other concerning part for Pittsburgh, they just, they, I'm not in on Najee Harris. Six carries, 31 yards. Yeah, Nothing really explosive out of the running game, and look, again, they were down so much early that they had to abandon it. I call me concerned. I'm a little panicked about the Pittsburgh Steelers. I
2: avoided Najee Harris like the plague in fantasy football drafts because of this main reason. They're going to find themselves down, and when they find themselves down, Najee Harris is never going to get the ball.
4: I will say, though, it was the 49ers, and it was a letdown of a week for the Steelers, but out of any of the games that happened this week, I could see this one being a week one weird outcome for the Steelers going up against a really good team. I think the Steelers will be fine, Um, but I think they'll be what you expected. I think they're going to be a team that will tr- like fight for a playoff spot towards the end of the season. I will say I think now they might be leaning more towards one of those teams that's going to be just on the outside looking in because of the competition that they're up against.
2: Let's do two more. Let's do the Titans. 16-15 loss to the New Orleans Saints. Tannehill was the bigger problem there. Are three interceptions, 16 for 34. I'm not panicked about the team because I think they'll get – their issues figured out I'm panicked about the quarterback and I know that like is an oxymoron because if I'm panicked about the quarterback how was the team going to be good because all you need is Tannehill to be average like DeAndre Hopkins had an okay game Derrick Henry was fine the defense found ways to at least keep New Orleans intact But man, if Ryan Tannehill is that panicked the entire season, I mean, you're going to have issues, but I'm going to stick with patience here for the Titans because I still think they're going to be one of their top teams in the division.
3: I'm going to say panic and it's all because of the quarterback and he ties too much into the team and Tannehill didn't look like a winning quarterback this weekend. He didn't. He was terrible. Three interceptions, 198 yards. I'm really concerned. All he has to do is be good because of Henry and because of DeAndre Hopkins he wasn't even close to good this weekend. Did Traylon so Burks play that game, or did they just not throw
2: it to him? Because he I don't think because
3: he had two receptions, and eighteen I say, yards, I feel like targets. I didn't even
2: hear his name.
3: He's he's been very disappointing. Yeah. I thought he'd be good last year too, and I had him on my fantasy. Was not the, good. So he was
2: the reason they got rid of AJ Brown.
3: Yeah, mistakes were made. You know, <laughs> a lot of mistakes um, were but made. Yeah, call me panicked yeah. about the Tennessee Titans. All right,
2: the obvious one here: panic or patience? I think we're all going to be on the same page with the Giants. It's panic. I, I mean. That was the prototypical in, in um, what's-his-face Collinsworth was saying it on the broadcast last night. The Giants have a specific strategy how they want to play, and if they're under pressure, they can't play that strategy. And like their offensive line struggled, and I understand that's probably going to be the best defense in the NFL this season. Couldn't keep their eyes away. And when they did find a way to The options to throw to weren't there So Daniel Jones just said bleep it I'm going to run it myself Daniel Jones is not going to last this season He's going to get injured at some point because, Because they're utilizing him way too much Because the receivers are just terrible on the Giants I love Brian Dable I think he's an incredible head coach But I'm panicking about that Giants team They're going to be bad
3: can I be honest? I don't know really how to grade the Giants in terms of if I'm panicked or patient because I didn't have expectations for you don't them. have anybody to throw to. Well, like that was a common theme from last year. And and like I kind of agree with I agree with everything that you just said, but I'm trying to figure out if I should panic because Dallas was just so freaking good last night. That would be the only thing that I push back. So I'm gonna lean towards patient because but that's your division. Like, that's fair. That's
2: your division, and Philly's in there, too, so if you can't be a top-two team, you're not a playoff yeah, team. You can't put up zero points at home in a division yeah. game. You just can't.
3: All right, I changed my mind. I'm going to panic. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, because that was not impressive, and <laughs> Dallas just completely destroyed them. Hey,
2: but it was raining.
3: It was raining. Yeah, but again, <laughs> they didn't even look competitive. They did <laughs> Dan- kick a damn
2: field Dan- goal. Daniel Jones looked like a defeated man after the second series of downs. I love
3: where <laughs> I love what Collinsworth said on the broadcast. He said... uh You know, we always talk about the internal clock in a quarterback's head, and he goes... I just don't know if there's a clock running right now because they're always in his lap when it goes.
2: I also love the way that Tariko set him up when he's like, "Uh, you had a great conversation with Micah Parsons. And Collinsworth is like, yeah, I did. He goes, don't worry. We're going to have plenty of time to talk about that throughout the game tonight. (laughs) (laughs) At Panic or Patience for week one in the NFL. Again, you got the Jets and Bills in action tonight, which you can hear right here on 101 ESPN. Kickoff at 7.15. Tanner Hendrickson, Grant Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up next, the market has been set. If you're searching for a number four or a number five starter, are they going to be able to afford one of these guys? And does it make sense? We'll discuss that next year on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
2: So we're going to be talking about it all the way up until the Cardinals actually make the signing, what the market is going to look like for starting pitchers and kind of know what the top of the market's going to look like. But what about that bottom? What about those tier four, number four, number five starters? What's that market going to look like? Well, guess what, T-Bone? The Rockies just said it for you. And they probably screwed you over in this sense. Herman Marquez uh, just got a two-year, $20 million contract extension, and this man is not going to be pitching next season because he just had Tommy John surgery. He pitched four times this year, uh, gave him 20 innings, Got Tommy John surgery, going to be out for next season, and they just gave him a two-year contract extension. Now, he's 28 years old, he's pitched well for them in the past, and frankly, if you're the Colorado Rockies, uh, well, desperation mode sets in, and if somebody's willing to play or somebody's willing to pitch, I should say, in Colorado, then you take them up on that offer. But what that did to the rest of the market is basically state, hey, Marquez is injured, so we just got him for one year, $10 million and sucked it up for that one year that he's going to be injured. Now you've got guys that are going to be on the market that are going to look at that and say, yeah, I had an injury. Yeah, I was missed majority of last season, but what? look at what Marquez just got. This makes things interesting for the Cardinals if this is what the going rate is going to be for a number four, number five starting pitcher.
3: Yeah, I always thought around 10 mil, eight to 10 mil would probably be what like a number four would get. Um, so that part isn't so surprising, and maybe I should have seen this coming for Herman Marquez, but the guys that we've talked about where BK has said, you know, if you like what Zach Thompson's doing, would you be okay with the Cardinals going into the season with Thompson as the five, Matt's kind of propels to the four, and you sign a quote-unquote reclamation project or a guy that's recovering from an injury like a Tyler Malley who's in Minnesota that's dealing with an injury or a Frankie Montas who's dealing with an injury in New York who's coming off a of shoulder surgery. Now those guys, and I looked looked up their numbers last night just to kind of make sure that they were somewhat similar. They didn't cover as many innings as Mark has had in the past, but ERA plus, very similar. ERA, pretty close to the same. Strikeouts per nine, pretty close to the same. I think if you're going to be signing a reclamation project, quote-unquote, or a bounce-back candidate... It's gonna be around this. It's gonna be about ten million dollars. Now you probably don't have to do two years with those guys. You could probably just do a one year, ten million dollar deal, maybe even one one by eight and put an option on it that could be worth twelve mil for the second season to get it to this twenty million dollar range. But I think this is about right. I think this is about what the market's gonna look like if the Cardinals are gonna go out there and explore the number fours, the James Paxton who just got hurt again. He's probably around ten million dollars. Um you look at the, the guys that I just mentioned, Tyler Malley, Frankie Montas. They're probably around $10 million. And that is what you're signing as the number four. And that's why when we always talk about, you know, the Cardinals really have to change the model, not just in terms of swing and miss, but their spending model and be willing to go out there and pay up the price for starting pitching. This is why, because a number four is $10 million. Well, what's that one and two going to cost them? When they go out and look at a Sonny Gray or they look at a Imanaga or if they're interested in a Yamamoto or Nola, like this is the four. The one and two is going to be twenty to twenty five million dollars or eighteen to twenty million dollars. This is why we talk about the model changing so much.
2: You mentioned Zach Thompson, and you know, I've been on that sentiment that like this guy should be able to compete for your rotation. Dakota Hudson's gonna be in that conversation for you for how he's pitched down the stretch, but none of these guys should be considered number fives for you for this reason. If it's gonna cost me $10 million to get a reclamation project, I know it's ten million dollars that's gonna cut into the budget that you're able to spend. But I would do a $10 million deal on a project that could give me that upside. I told you the guy that I like is Luis Severino. He had injuries the last few seasons. He's pitching fine now. His ERA is way bloated, but he's been better over these last couple of starts. But if you're paying $10 million for one of those guys and they don't work out, and I'm talking about you're paying $10 million for a Frankie Montas, for a Severino. Those guys don't work out. Now I've got Thompson and Dakota Hudson who can be on the back end of my rotation. But if they do work out, we're talking about somebody who's got the potential to be a two or a three in your rotation, which is a great thing for them. That needs to be one of the options for the Cardinals. By no means am I saying don't go after that one, don't go after that two, because Enola and Imanaga, that or Sonny Gray, two of those three, probably going to be costly, but it's going to be a good offseason then go get that reclamation project so that you're stacking that rotation. So if slash when that injury pops up for the guy that you're hoping can hit, now I've got Thompson and Dakota Hudson. You can't go into it and say Hudson and Thompson are fighting for that fifth spot.
3: Yeah, they can't go in. I, I agree with you there. I don't think they can go into the year with saying, hey, we we believe in Zach Thompson being a number 5 starter right off the bat. Look, I, I like what Zach Thompson's done. He's been really impressive. But they need five guys that are major league pitchers and I need three major league signed pitchers this offseason. Now, the one thing that I've been pushing back on and I know BK's been saying this probably for the last handful of weeks now, you know, if Thompson can, would you be okay with Thompson going in and being like a number five for you to start the year while you wait on a pitcher to recover from injury I don't want that I I want them to sign somebody for this fourth spot that's around this 10 million dollar range that is going to be healthy going into spring training and is a guy that you can put in pen as he's the number four starter come opening day what's
2: the difference if you're doing that or if you sign somebody who's recovering from an injury and start the season with Thompson but then in the middle towards the end of the season you're expecting him to be healthy and ready to go
3: like in both situations I I don't want to start through a Thompson the rotation that's my thing I wouldn't mind
2: starting with Thompson in the rotation. If if, if I, in my scenario, signed Luis Severino to a one-year $10 million and he's recovering or somebody else, Frankie Montas, is recovering, I know he's going to be back by May. I don't mind going a month with Zach Thompson if I know he's going to be back. Now, if I'm just hoping that he's going to be back and next thing you know he's not back till June or July, that's a problem.
3: Yeah, see, I, I just want to go into the year where Thompson's not in the rotation and is viewed as kind of like a... Swingman, or is the sixth starter down in AAA. I, I want the Cardinals to say, here's our starting five come opening day. We've got pitcher one that we signed, pitcher two, Michaelis, pitcher four that we signed that's healthy and ready to go. And that's why I had been talking about uh, James Paxson, for example, as being that guy. And look, the guy, that I, the guy that they end up signing that they say he's written in pen as the number four could end up getting hurt in spring training. Like that's a very likely possibility. It's a likely possibility for the one and the two as well. But I I would much rather prefer that they go out and sign somebody that they can say, okay, we know he's going to be in this rotation come opening day, and Zach Thompson is kind of the uh, break glass in case of emergency type starter. Because I like what Zach Thompson has done, but I don't know if I want to buy into it saying, okay, let's start the year with that. I
2: guess that's the good thing for this Cardinals team is you've got two guys right now that are break glass in, in case of emergency, and Thompson and Hudson and then you've got a couple of others that we haven't even seen yet in terms of Graceffo and McGreevy and finding out if they are even going to be options for you next year. And that's not even bringing in the Henson and the Roby situation, but I still think they're probably two years away. That's a good problem to have. And that's I don't mind starting it with Zach Thompson, but Zach Thompson cannot be the permanent option there. Like, I want to sign somebody. This offseason that I know is going to slot in there as a number four, so that Mats is my number five and Michaelis is sitting there at number three. But that guy that I signed as number four, if he's not back until May and Thompson's got to slide in, fine. 75% or more of that season needs to be from three free agents that you signed because we all know injuries are going to take place. And that's why I'm not as concerned about the Thompson thing if I know I'm getting a Nola and a Sonny Gray or a Nola and a Imanaga. The problem is if I go Gray, Cobb, and then don't sign somebody or then sign somebody who's a reclamation project that's not available right away, that's where the problem resides.
3: Yeah, 100% agree with you. And, and again, I know I use Paxton as kind of the place filler, but I I just feel more comfortable saying, okay, you brought in a veteran starting pitcher that can fill this number 4 spot that's got some swing and miss, and then you can allow Thompson to continue to be as a depth piece because what's the issue that the Cardinals – have run into not just this year. This year was just a lack of performance. But what did they run into in years prior? It was depth in the starting rotation. And if I can keep Thompson as a number 6 or as a swing guy, I prefer to do that. And I prefer to do that at the start of the year. I don't want to have him playing up into that number 5 starter role because we have to wait on a guy to recover from injury. Because, use Marquez, for example, because BK had brought him up and then he signed this extension. You could sign a guy that's injured and he starts to rehab, And then it just either, A, never finds his footing again, or B, ends up just injuring himself again and never ends up rehabilitating the way that you are expecting. So I I just want a guy that it says, hey, he's healthy, let's sign him, get him into spring training, put him in pen as the number 4 starter. And I don't know who that guy is, and it could be somebody you trade for too. I'm I'm totally okay with Mm -hmm. trading for a guy that's more cost control rather than giving $10 million out to someone that can do this like a James Pax. Someone brought
2: up a really good point from the 636, if you want an ace, you're going to have to deal with Thompson as a number five, meaning you're going to have to spend a lot to get that ace. Here's the thing. Blake Snell is going to be too expensive. Katie explained that $200 million, and we're going to get into this a little bit later. Does the $200 million for Blake Snell lower the price a little bit of an Aaron Nola? Or if you're going the route of you want three guys for the price of what you'd have to pay for two, you better be damn sure that those three guys you're signing – Are all swing and miss guys who can give you a full season. Because if you're going, if you don't want to spend the $20 million for an Aaron Nola and you don't want to spend the $18 million or $15 million for that guy who could be a number two, but instead you want to go like a Sonny Gray or you want to go an Alex Cobb or James Paxton or a Malley or something like that. If those guys aren't durable and provide something that the ace could have, well, then what's the point? Like, what did you accomplish?
3: Well, that's what Michaelis in theory would be—is that guy that you're talking about. But I think it is an interesting point from the texture that if you're going to run into um, getting a one and spending money like 200 million on Snell, which I don't know if I don't think Nola will get that, but we'll, I we'll see. But um, it, it's a good point you have to look at Thompson. But I, I I think what would more likely happen is you start to look and see if is there somebody that you like that you can get for cost control that can be a number four. That's when you start to weigh weigh the question of, and I'm using him as a place filler again, Clark Schmidt. Do you want Clark Schmidt and trade up a Carlson for him, or do you keep a Carlson and run it back with Zach Thompson? Those are all the kind of questions that the Cardinals are going to be asking themselves this offseason. I think there's a good chance that they are trading for the number 4 because they've got some pieces they'll look to move on from now. I don't know, like I don't know if Carlson's value is going to be there to get the number four, but could you trade up some prospects, to go get a number four that's got some control that's not making too much money? I think it's possible because I don't think they're just going to strictly sign three starting pitchers. He's
2: Tanner Hendrickson, Graham Francis. I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up next, we dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN let's open it up the junk drawer with bk and ferrario
0: brought to you by fenton bar and grill best trashed wings in missouri dine in carry out seven days a week
2: Right, time to jump into the junk drawer alongside tanner hendrickson and Grant francis i'm alex ferrario t-bone what do you got for us today
3: so the dallas cowboys we saw them put the whooping on the giants on oh, yeah. sunday night well they unveiled this was i think friday is when they made the announcement of this
2: what they do so at, they unveiled
3: they unveiled at,
2: unveiled sorry veal is a uh, baby cow isn't that what veal is yeah that's think what it is. Think i that's think that's true. what it is <laughs>
3: okay well they didn't have a cow <laughs> they didn't have a baby cow but <laughs> <Plus> they unveiled <laughs> Man, english language so hard they unveiled, um, <laughs> but so anyways the cowboys unveiled on friday that have you seen this technology where you can have someone like do an interview and it'll be like ai technology so there's like a hologram of this person so for example you jerry jones is what the cowboys are doing where it's ai technology they did some kind of like interview process with him and he does answers a multitude of questions and then there's a hologram that's put up on the screen and people can come into the stadium and they can get the microphone and they can ask a question and then ai technology will use your question and pick out what is the best answer for the hologram to then display to project to everybody Does that make sense?
2: So, like, you get to go and, like, so it's it's basically an opportunity for you to interview Jerry Jones. Exactly. For fans. It's a fan experience. Exactly.
3: And and, and this is kind of a technology that they've started doing in, um, I've seen there's been some where they do it with um, World War II veterans, uh, where they have them sit down, do an interview. People can then ask a question, and then the AI technology will get you the best answer that they had at the time that they did this. I don't know why we need this about Jerry Jones. I don't. I don't want to go to a Cowboys game. How about them Cowboys? And interview Jerry Jones. Why not? He, I don't think he's Isn't that it, interesting.
2: I mean, when you're, when you're Jerry Jones, you got to be considered interesting, right?
3: I, I just, I would have no interest in doing this where I go there, see this AI technology where Jerry Jones is telling me about his life and I ask him these questions. I have no interest in this in what they are doing to meet Jerry Jones an interactive experience. Well, who would be
2: in, like? Okay, so historical figures, yeah, I mean that that would be incredible. Even interviewing like a World War II veteran, that would be insane. But amongst living people, like that's got to be considered one of the more interesting people to interview, right? Like to ask him. Like I would imagine if it's a fan experience, you get to ask him, like, why did you make this decision as the general manager of the but football see, team? I don't
3: know if it's. I don't think it would be able to because. He has a set list of questions that he's answered. Now, look, he's probably answered hundreds, thousands of questions, probably hundreds. Jerry didn't have time for thousands. Um, But he's not like you couldn't ask like, hey, Jerry, why did you not sign so-and-so to a contract extension? Well, then that's just ridiculous if you don't do that. But it, that's what it would be and well, that's, that's the stupid. Thing. how
2: are you gonna make something that's a fan experience that you can't actually ask those questions
3: i wonder how much it is to go do this how now he, that i'm asking how does
2: he this? respond if you walk up and you say jerry why did you not make this move well that question does not compute ask another one he'd like, prob- he'd probably, this. i want my money back he'd
3: probably go well, let me tell you about why i purchased the cowboys <laughs> I'd be like, Let me what? tell you about how
2: I became a
4: multimillionaire. I'd be like, Siri, I'm not sure what you mean. I'll, I'll search the web for yeah, that. And you
3: know what I do? I,
2: I cuss out Siri when that happens, which I'm going to do that to Jerry Jones' AI.
3: But this, like, I, so I've seen these again. I I've This isn't the first time that I've seen something like this where it's an AI-generated thing that allows it to answer questions. You can go in and ask the question. You can see the person as, like, a hologram. I could care less about the Jerry Jones. Like I don't even no, know. If I'm a... with
2: you. Like you have to be a Cowboys fan to want to interview Jerry Jones, but I would imagine as a Cowboys fan, or just a general football fan. And, and
3: you know the thing that I saw in the commercial for like, or the what would you call it, the promo that they released for it? Was someone asked him, "Why'd you partner with AT and T? Why? What?
2: Uh, because they paid me the most money." Next question. Yeah,
3: and he went on with some elaborate answer oh, well was, you know
1: AT&T
3: they've been a great partner with me for super long I don't know if there's a owner that I would want to see this for I can't think I of mean more. St.
2: Louis people would love to see this for Stan Kroenke to ask the question but then it would be does not compute
3: yeah but like he yeah yeah I, I
2: like there it would be athletes and coaches before I would want to interview an owner of a team yeah unless you're a fan of that team like, if you're a fan, that would be probably awesome. But again, if you're not going to be able to ask certain questions and it just says, nope, can't answer that next question, well, bleep
3: this, I want my money back. Yeah, that's the thing. It's How like, much money was it? Did you see? It doesn't it say doesn't on say the say. website. That's
2: because they don't want you to know it's going into Jerry yeah. Jones's pocket.
3: Um, but I, I couldn't think of an owner that I would really want to know this from. Yeah. Uh, like, do this experience with maybe, uh, what's his name in Chicago, Reinsdorf that had yeah. the balls during the Jordan era. But- I was going to say, I'm
2: trying to think of like, Historic, like St. Louis people would probably. I thought, why not just do this in person? Walt Jockety would be one of them to be able to talk to him. But again, why not
3: just do that in person? I can just get Walt. I was going to say shank. we're
2: big. We're big friends of Walt, so um, not a big
3: deal. But owner wise, like there's just not. I don't think there's a lot of interesting yeah. owners. It's got to be
2: older owners that have passed away to where you can get some historical figures. By the way, people are giving me crap saying that Veal is not. I was cow. about to bring that up. I looked it, it up. It is. Yeah, it's baby. It's cow. baby calf. Or a calf, a baby cow. To so, be
4: specific, according to uh, Google, veal is the meat from a calf or young beef animal. Look,
2: man, I'm Italian. You don't question me on cooking conversations. That's my expertise. Maybe I write
4: should... the gauntlet questions, so <laughs> nobody should maybe we should
2: guess me. Maybe we should uh, create AIs of ourselves that people can ask questions oh, to.
3: That's a good idea. Yeah,
2: and charge money for it. Yeah. Like ask dating life questions to t Yeah. Bone. His AI will answer, he won't, but his AI will answer yeah. those questions. Well,
3: I mean, you have to record the answer. Like, well, how do you to do that for it? guys
2: who have passed away, though? You said, like, you can't.
3: That's what I, no, what they did was they recorded oh, with World okay. War II veterans while they were uh, alive or are still living. Still a waste that of money, that way they have it. But yeah, we have to record the answer. That's why, like, the Jerry Jones AI couldn't just specifically yeah. answer. Okay, a now I get specific free agent.
2: This is a waste of money now. Just yeah. interview them by yourself.
3: Now again, there are interesting things about this. Like it is cool that they do this with World War II veterans, and you get a chance to
2: that's cool. Hear Jerry their Jones, stories, so ask
3: them questions. The Jerry Jones experience. I'm okay without doing.
2: Eh, I think I'm on board with the that. The only though. AI
4: I've genuinely enjoyed is when you see the covers. Of different people singing songs.
2: Oh, yeah. The concerts like AI? Yeah. Yes. That's
4: incredible. Have you heard the ones from like uh Plankton and Mr. Crab singing songs? No. Oh, they're fantastic. Go now look I, those up. Now
2: I know how you spend your time, Grant. Yeah. That's my For yeah. You page on. on TikTok. Hold on. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> Alex, kidding.
3: Alex was looking for someone to play softball to join his team tonight. Yeah. Alex asked Grant. Grant's answer was, quote, I have to go to the gym. What you meant was well, I, I have, have to go, wait, go Mr. Krabs. and watch Mr. Krabs and Spongebob do a both concert. both at the
2: same time in between sets just scrolling TikTok? <laughs> <laughs> now you know why Grant's hogging up the bench press. Hey, buddy, can I jump on there? Hold on, I'm finishing this Plankton and Mr. Krabs rendition of All I Want for Christmas is You.
3: This gets me fired up! I gotta go
2: pump some iron! You know what gets me fired up, T-Bone? Not Plankton and Mr. Krabs. Oh, it's the St. Louis Blues because that hockey season is right around the corner. Let's discuss because there's three guys that might be crucial to the offense. Can they continue what they did at the end of the season? We'll get into that next year on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
3: the right wing, buttons up, chucks it far side, sod to Blay, he scores! Sammy Blay right on the goal line,
1: inside the far post. Shen in with Kapanen, wide open, Kapanen, he scores! Game winner, bring out the Zamboni! Brings it in over the blue line, leaves it for Shen, into Verana. he scores! Bring out the Zamboni! Overtime game winner, Yakub Verana.
2: Oh man, the sounds of blues hockey right around the corner. Also, our Blues and Brews with 101 ESPN is next Friday, September 22nd at the Anheuser-Busch Brewery. This is going to get you real fired up for the blues season at this outdoor street party. It features live music from country music star Chris Lane and local blues musician Marquise Knox. It includes appearances by Jordan Bennington, Colton pareco Braden Shen, Robert Thomas, Justin Falk, Kevin Hayes, Craig Baruby, and plenty of blues alumni. You've got food trucks, 101 ESPN giveaways, and so much more. We'll be out there. You need to get out there as well. You can get your tickets for Blues and Brews. They're on sale now. Go to 101ESPN.com for all the details. It's presented by Bud Light 101 ESPN and 92.3 W.I.L. Blay, Verana, and Kapanen. Those three players at the end of the season last year, once they all were acquired, 27 goals and 21 assists, and that was something that was desperate for a team that lacked a lot of offense. The question is, Can those three players be the same guys for an entire 82-game schedule? And really, that's what's going to dictate this season for the Blues. We've all made it very clear that the defense is the exact same, with the exception of some younger guys who get more playing time. That's not going to change. Hopefully it gets better. Hopefully it doesn't get worse with Mike Weber as the head coach, or the assistant coach. But the offense is going to thrive for this team. And if Blay... Kapanen and Verona can't provide the offense that they did in that short sample size, really just the offense in general, then this team is going to have the same problems that they did last year. But I, for one, view this as three guys who have everything to play for this season. It's different than what Tarasenko and O'Reilly and Barbashev had last year, because those three guys were in the unknown, meaning they wanted to be back, weren't sure if they were going to be back. Blake Kapanen and Verona are all in situations where who cares if they're back? They just want to get paid because the teams that they were on basically just gave them away. So Verona to me, I I know people think I'm crazy when I say it. Verona to me is a 35 to 40 goal scorer if he stays healthy. He's proven it in the past. He's been a goal, like nearly a... 50, 55 goals in a season in terms of what he does prior to him having the off-ice issues. Kaepernick is a former first-round first 1st pick, and Sammy Blay is a guy that when he got his opportunities, he performed well, and he was injured last year. So I think those three guys can continue the success that they had. The question is, are they going to be able to do it with the chemistry that this team is going to have?
3: Yeah, I, I don't know if they're going to be able to repeat it just because w- the pace that they were playing at and the way they were playing was just incredible post Um, trade deadline now I do think you make a good point that they need to play that way if the Blues are going to be a team that's going to get into the playoff picture because they are going to be relying on Verona to be a goal scorer not only just a goal scorer but the guy that's probably going to be the to improve the power play because I think that's where his biggest threat is with his one-time shot you saw a little bit of that last year after he was acquired at the trade deadline I think the same can be said for Kevin in terms of his goal scoring and what does Sammy Blay look like? Is Sammy Blay truly that goal scorer that you saw? Can he play kind of that Ivan Barbashev role and be kind of a surprise 20 goal scorer for you? If he can, then things look great for the St. Louis Blues and that's on top of before you start having conversations about what does Oscar Sundquist provide on the fourth line? What does Jake Neighbors' yep. next step look like? Kevin Hayes I, I mean, we're not
2: putting him into this conversation. Man, I
3: keep forgetting about Kevin Hayes I, I feel so bad. Don't
2: forget about the big man he's six foot six. He's going to provide that big size for you
3: i'll remember them i'll remember them by the time we get going in season but i i think it is i think they are kind of the guys that you have to highlight as the x factors i would say probably in the forward grouping for the st louis blues because if these three guys play really well and they do have this goal scoring production then yeah i think the blues are a team that can potentially outscore their defensive issues if they don't then you're looking at a team that i think is probably going to have some struggles throughout the season
4: I think a guy like Sammy Blay is heavily overlooked too because you know, with the way he was scoring goals towards the end of last season, um and his two way game and how physical he is. He's a very good all around player. And if he can keep that scoring up, that's gonna be huge for the Blues and a lot of people forget too. Um, the Men's World Hockey Championship yeah. that Blake played. In. I'm pretty sure he led that tournament in neighbors. goals. Yeah. So especially that Neighbors is another guy. If both of those guys can sustain that scoring success, that's going to be huge for the Blues and for Verana. I think his floor is so high. Like I think his floor should be about 25 his floor goals. Is 20
2: to 25 goals. Yes.
4: Especially with how much time he's going to have on the power play this season, and with no Tarasenko there, he's going to get a lot of opportunities in that spot. So you look at those two players and to me, it looks like both of them should be getting the opportunities to have all the success that they should have. Um, Kapanen is the one question mark for me. Uh, I think out of the three of them, Kapanen is the one that probably for me is the least exciting, but I don't really think in my mind that Kapanen needs to be super explosive or put up a ton of goals I for a guy like Kapanen I'd like to see him be more quiet and just play a solid two-way game
2: that's why they brought him here I mean they brought him here to be a two-way player they didn't bring him to be the goal scorer you got plenty of goal scorers on this team individually like I think the reason you brought up Grant that people overlook Sammy Blay is because they know he's going to be playing the fourth line this year because there really isn't a top nine opportunity and if he gets that He could be the goal scorer. But if you're putting him on a fourth line, are the goals going to be there? The reason that I would say don't overlook it is because when you have that type of goal scorer on a fourth line, you can produce. Even if you're playing eight, nine minutes a night, that's a productive eight or nine minutes compared to what the fourth line typically was where you're not expecting any goals from them. You're talking about a Sunquist, a Torovchenko, and a Blay. Those three guys can provide offense that you haven't had since 2019. Verana, look, I understand it sounds crazy. Somebody texted in just laughing at that. Kevin Allen, who covers the Detroit Red Wings, said when we when the Blues acquired him, this is a guy that everybody in Detroit expected 40 to 45 goals from. Didn't get there, had off-ice issues. If that is not a problem this year, then that's what you're looking at. Kapanen is the intriguing one, and of course, he's got some off-ice stuff now too, but Kapanen was a top-six forward with Toronto, he was a top-six forward with Pittsburgh, and he was a guy who produced 15 to 20 goals. Then, when Pittsburgh he fell out of favor with the head coach, he dropped down to the fourth line and wasn't as productive. If you're playing in a top-nine role, Kapanen's got the ability there. The offense is there to provide for this team. The question is how do you close the gap with the top three teams in the Central? And in the athletic piece, they did a roundtable with all the riders for the Central Division. And they basically did votes in terms of total points and first-place votes. Blues didn't get any first-place votes. Frankly, I'm okay with that. Surprise, surprise. No argument there. That was Dallas and Colorado got the first-place votes. What surprised me was Minnesota was third. That's not as surprising as the gap between Minnesota and St. Louis. The votes were 14 difference to where the Blues were in fourth place and the Minnesota was in third. I think this this season, it's very clear there's a Tier 1, which is Dallas and Colorado, Tier 2, which is Minnesota and St. Louis, and I would put those teams a lot closer, and then Tier 3 is everybody else. I don't think it's that wide of a gap in terms of, they say it's Tier 1, Tier 2, which is Minnesota, then it's Tier 3, which is St. Louis, Nashville, and Winnipeg. I think St. Louis is better than what Nashville and Winnipeg have this upcoming season.
3: So, I think they're right around where Nashville and Winnipeg are, I, I think we'll see who kind of comes out on top because I think all all three teams there, St. Louis, Nashville, and Winnipeg, you can see where they can be a playoff team, and you can see where just the bottom falls out and they're not. And I don't know if there's much of an in-between for all three of those teams. I do think that they are placed kind of in the right spot here, four right around Nashville and Winnipeg. I think I think you're right, Dallas, Colorado, clearly the top tier when it comes to the Central Division. I think Minnesota's in a tier of their own at number 2, and then you got the Blues kind of in that murky middle at 3. And to your point on the question of, you know, how do the Blues close the gap, they they close the gap or they get up into that second tier with a defensive bounce back. It's the only way. It, it truly is. That or I guess the other one that I could see possibly is defense kind of the same, but you get this production that we're talking about from Vrana, Kapanen, Blay. Those three guys are 20 goal scorers around that range and you just outscore your problems. And and Kevin Hayes has added to that equation as a goal scorer. Neighbors takes another step as a goal scorer and you just outscore your problems. I think that's the one of two ways. It's either the defense really steps steps up and has that bounce back year that the Blues are putting faith in, or they just become a great offensive juggernaut like they were what was it 2 years ago and they just outscore their problems then they might be able to get back into that conversation.
4: Yeah, and I'm with you. I think Minnesota is in a tier of their own right below Dallas and Colorado because I just I look at at Minnesota, they're always sound defensively and they've got that scoring in uh Kirill Kaprizov and now Matt Boldy who really emerged last season. I do think Minnesota is pretty much a lock for that number 3 spot in the Central Division. And then the wild card teams are just going to be kind of a crapshoot because you're going to have that Nashville, St. Louis, Winnipeg all fighting for those teams. And when you're in the wild card, you got to take into account Calgary and, you know, the Pacific Division teams that are going to be there. Yeah. So. I honestly don't think there's any point in looking at the Blues in the top three of the Central Division. I really don't. I think that's clear cut.
2: You were the optimistic one to start this show. What's I'm the realistic one. Oh, jeez. Just that fast. He drinks half of it and says, oh, the glass is half empty, guys. Are you really telling yourself that the Blues can pass Minnesota? Yeah. I just if don't not, see it. If not pass
3: them, or
2: within striking
3: distance of it. Well, I think that's, that's two different stories, because striking distance... I, I mean, you if you're within
2: them. if you're within four to six points of Minnesota, I mean, I'd say you're the exact same team.
4: Just defensively, I don't see the but Blues changing the Wild,
2: but their defense for changed who? for Minnesota. Oh, I was like St. Louis. I, see I mean, the they, same they guys. lost Klingberg that they had for a while. They lost Dumba, who was there all season. Like their top three is the same in terms of Middleton and Spurgeon and um. Why am I forgetting the other guy's name? Whomever it is, it's a top three defenseman. Like they've got guys, but. Their defense isn't the same defense it was last year. They're relying on a couple of younger players. But the Blues
4: defense is the same, and that's where I'm concerned. And I get that we all expect the Blues defense to have a better season, and I do too,
2: but I don't think it's going to catch Minnesota. I just don't. Can't wait to work with Grant for 82-plus games this upcoming season. Grant Francis, Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. Send us your scenarios, 314-399-9646. Air Comfort Service text line will tell you if we are in or out next on 101 ESPN
1: we're right back to the bk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn come on man are you in or are you out it's in or out with bk and ferrario
2: oh yeah it feels good to be back t-bone Get ready, because it's just me up until June. Oh, good. (laughs) T-Bone, you'll have vacation soon, right? Probably, maybe.
3: I don't know. I know I get a day off in November, and that's about it.
2: <laughs> that's good to know. That's called Thanksgiving, buddy. You get it in December, too, when it's Christmas time.
3: Oh, really? Yeah,
2: Merry Christmas, my man. Tanner Hendrickson, Grant Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. BK's out today. He'll be back with us tomorrow. The entire gang will be back next, the rest of the week. Uh, but our YouTube page is not up, and I know we've gotten questions about that. I'll say it again. Uh, it is down temporarily. They're trying to fix the issue. That's why we're not up on YouTube. It will be fixed whenever the... Uh, engineers and youtube can figure it out they've got to figure out their issues so we'll be back up sooner rather than later let's get to in or out you texas scenarios 314-399-9646 air comfort service text line and we'll tell you if you or we are in or out let's start with this following up the conversation we just had in or out the blues as a team score more goals than minnesota this upcoming season
3: more goals than minnesota yeah. i'm out
2: I think I'm going to go out on that too. I'm going to say in, and I was te- I was telling you in the uh, during the break, the the difference for me between these two teams is the depth on offense. I think Minnesota is top heavy, and then after they lose Kaprizov and um, I am struggling with names today. they Boldy. No, not Boldy. Who's the centerman that plays with Kaprizov? Not Fiala. Anyway, um, they, yeah, yeah, that guy. It, th- their top scores from last year. You lose those two guys, you're talking about a couple of younger players who have the potential. Boldy was a 30-goal scorer. Eric Eck Eric Eck is, I mean, he kind of regressed last year in terms of offense. They traded away Jordan Greenway. You've got Marcus Felino. He's never really been considered a goal scorer. The Blues have more offense than Minnesota, I believe, in terms of depth. Now, this could get thrown back in my face by next year or by the end of the season, but I would say I'm in on this because I think as a group, there's more goals to be had for the blues than Minnesota.
4: I did go out, but I do think offensively the goal production will probably be pretty close. I think where there's going to be discrepancy is going to be defensively. And again, that's like I said, that's where the problem is going to arise. In my opinion,
3: I, the reason I'm out is I just think it's, I don't know if all three guys that we just talked about can perform at the level they were at post trade deadline and Blay, Kapanen and Vrana. And you also got to rely on neighbors taking a step forward. I think Hayes, you know what you're gonna get there, but I just think there's too many question marks for me to truly buy in right now in terms of when I look at them and say they're gonna outscore the Minnesota wild. So that that's why I that's why I have some pause. I got one for you guys. All right. In or out, the number four starter that the St. Louis Cardinals should pursue is Seth Lugo from the San Diego Padres. Seth Lugo has a, Wasn't he a player bull- option. Wasn't he a bullpen arm with he was with the Mets and then he converted to being a starter and he's been decent for the San Diego Padres this year. Three eight ERA, six and seven, 125 and two thirds uh innings pitch and in twenty-three starts. He's probably a guy that, at least according to SpotRack, when you look at it in terms of where they have contract comps. They think he'll be right around that ten million dollar range that we talked about earlier. Yeah,
2: I'm in on this one. I mean, my the guy I really want is Luis Severino because I think you've got the he upside just went there. He's going on IL again. Well, no, I want him. I want him getting the eight strikeouts and in five innings that he's pitched the last couple of outings. Uh, I think the upside there is a guy who could be like a two or a three in your rotation if he's healthy and pitches well. And Lugo's not that, but I'm still in on this. Like if you can't get the guy that I want, go get somebody who's effective. The strikeout numbers are there. He gives you innings and he's somebody who you can call upon. And he's going to be available. So yeah, I'm in on this.
3: Yeah. I'm in on Lugo as well. I think he's, he's an interesting name to keep an eye on. He's older, got experience would be just really a second year in the big leagues in terms of him being a true starter I would have interest in Seth Lugo. I think he's the perfect kind of number four that you could bring into a rotation. I, And I don't think he'll make more than $10 million. We may be surprised by what his market ends up becoming. But if he is right around that $8 to $10 million range, I would bring in Seth Lugo on like a two-year deal. Yeah. Great.
4: You got one? I was thinking about this. Uh, the Arizona Coyotes, I looked at their lineup the other day. And it's not actually all that terrible. No, it's not. I look at that lineup, and I'm like, I don't really want to go up against that team. Especially for how successful they are against the Blues. So here's mine. In or out, the Coyotes are not going to be 7th or 8th in the Central Division this season.
2: And I think people are way too excited about Nashville and way too pessimistic about Arizona. I think Arizona's got the offense to be in the same conversation as Winnipeg in terms of points. I don't think they're a playoff team, but I think they take that step. I think Nashville is a team that's 7 or 8. I think Chicago is probably going to be 7 or 8. Nashville is going to be 7 or 8 in the Western Conference. I think people are sleeping on the Arizona Coyotes, especially if their ownership has basically told them we're going all in, now the players can buy in a little bit more.
3: Out, Coyotes still stink. So, I'm not <laughs> buying it. You call them the Coyotes, I don't take your opinion. They uh they're still bad, and I don't see them finishing beyond 7 or 8 because I think though Winnipeg, Nashville and the Blues, I think this I mentioned it last segment there's a ceiling of make the playoffs and then there's where the floor just drops out from underneath you and you end up having to be sellers at the deadline even then i don't think they're gonna be so bad that the arizona coyotes surpass them i don't feel like i'm sleeping on them i think they still stink so i'm out on this one
4: see alex you've been so low on nashville and i've been the one that's been like eh, who's, i don't
2: know who's scoring goals for them you know what you Ryan know why he, he did score goals for you last
3: year that's because we he just had poor line mate and, and you Kyra. think the
2: ones in nashville are better absolutely good god man they're relying on like a sixth round pick to be on their top line i i think this is
4: one of the reasons why i look at nashville and i i'm not ready to write them off and it might just be me being biased towards barry trotz but he took that and i know he's not the head coach he's the gm but he took that team in new york from dead last and goals allowed that was in the, the head season. Coach. i get it but he's still going to be involved
2: i don't know if he like he's going to be his involved. systems
4: are still going to be involved i'm sure
2: I just, uh, they, isn't Andrew Brunette their head coach? I believe so. Like he's a so, different yeah. minded head coach than what Barry I Trotz that, was. But do you not think that Barry Trotz is going to have some influence on that team? I do, but if you're the general manager, general manager. I don't know if you're coaching as well. Otherwise, you're both of those. Fair enough. It's an interesting dynamic to look into, but. I'm just, uh, Nashville does, like, Nashville's got Roman Yossi. They've got Yusei Soros, but they had Duchesne, Johansson, um, I am struggling to rusty after a week Uh, off. Philip Forsberg like they had all of these guys and now we've got O'Reilly and Forsberg like I I don't know yeah maybe I'm again this could be a throwback in my face I just Nashville even said they're rebuilding and when a team states they're rebuilding yeah
3: we said we're retooling that's not rebuilding
2: Eh, it starts with re and that scares me anytime you have to say it but it The the B comes next, and the B is the scary word in this one. So regardless, Grant and I are going to have a lot of in-season bets going on uh, between both of us throughout the year.
3: Rebranding.
2: Rebranding. In or out, guys, all of you won your fantasy matchups in week one of the 101 League. Why do we have to bring this up? Um, I was getting my... Uh, butt kicked by Anthony Stalter, and then the Dallas Cowboys decided to put up 39 fantasy football points. So uh, they actually won me week one. Yeah, I for an abysmal team. Yeah, T Bone, your team stinks. Yeah. And you know a team you ished on that's not bad. Kerry Davis no, is fair, I found that out.
3: Every yeah, Grant knows. <laughs> Grant tasted that. Everybody ished on Kerry's team because Yahoo Fantasy was like f. And now he's here with the most production out of anybody in terms of points. Yeah, I got I got beat by Donnie by like four points because Dak and Brandon Cooks didn't have to do anything last night, so that hurt me.
4: Of course, I had Mark Andrews out, but I was still projected to win even though Andrews was out. And then uh, so there was a running joke last year in my other fantasy league that every single week I would go up against the team that put up the most points in the league, and sure enough, Kerry Davis put up the highest points in the league so far, but. It's, I, in my other league I don't even care
2: in my other league that I play because everybody cares about fantasy football right like I think combined five of my seven players put up like 35 points and then I had Tyreek Hill and the Dallas Cowboys defense and I Jeez. won that week as well so always a benefit when you can I, pull those out I,
3: I really like this in or out question from the 618 in or out Tory Krug is a third pair power play specialist by January
2: oh in the only the only reason that Tory Krug will be in your top four is Scott Perunovich isn't healthy because if he stays healthy for you, I think your top four will be Scandela, Pareko, Perunovic, and Falk.
3: Can they play Perunovic and Krug on the ice at the same time? That's my base. I mean, you want to talk about small. You can. Um, As our friend Craig Button would say, nobody's afraid of that defensive grouping.
2: Uh, agreed. I think you can, but it comes down to Perunovic being good defensively. Because Krug... Uh, Krug is a better defenseman than people give him credit for. Yeah, he gets walked, but remember, he's going up against the other team's top pair. If you put him on a third pair, I think Tori Krug can handle himself against a third or a fourth line. But all of that depends on if Perunovic can handle himself on the second pair. And if he can't, Well, now we're talking about Nick Letty playing in a bold prediction for me. Marco Scandella and Colton Parake will be paired up a majority of this season if Scandella stays healthy. And that's the key. And that's the key. I think Scandella is good when he's healthy, but he's not healthy. Both Krug and Scandella. And
4: I I think for Krug, too, to be fair to him, and and I'm not very high on Krug defensively, but I mean, he he dealt with a lot of injury trouble last season and it was off and on for him all year. Uh, and Scandella obviously missed the majority of the season. So, I mean, if they can sustain that, that's another reason why it's likely that that defense is going to be at least a little bit better. But still, I mean... eh.
3: So, I would be in on this. I just don't know what your top four looks like, and I don't think it's Perunovic if he goes down to the third pair, because I don't don't see them playing them both. Because if you're playing Perunovic in your top four... And Krug's not truly a power play specialist in your third pairing because Perunovic will be playing that top power play yeah, unit no, would be my guess.
2: I think Perunovic would be on your second pair.
3: I just don't see... I don't think Perunovic is going to get as much playing time as we're expecting. Like, uh, Perunovic, I think they should be evaluating what they have in Perunovic. I think what's going to happen is he's going to spend a lot of the year either up in the press box or down in the AHL. My gut tells me down in the AHL because they've got guys like yeah, he's not Tucker Spadella, Bortuzzo. They've got too many defensemen under contract. Now, and unless they can trade out some... Guys, or they start dealing with injuries. I don't see where Prunovic is playing. So yeah. I'm in on this, but I don't think Prunovic will be on that second pair. I think Prunovic
2: is going to start in the AHL, and by the first month of the season, he'll be back up with this team and he'll be playing. You can't start him as a second pair because you don't know how he plays defensively. He's been too injured. And if you're playing second pair, you're playing second lines. A competition, And that's not where Perunovic is ready. So I think you could start with Tory Krug in the second pair. And if you want to go heavy on the power play and offense with your defenseman, then Perunovic could be a third pair and you're not using him as much. But now you're relying on other guys to play more minutes, which can be problematic. So this is all going to be really interesting notes to figure out once training camp kicks up uh, next week, expected for the St. Louis Blues. Tanner Henderson, Graham Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. Somebody texted in and said, in or out, Mike Trout makes sense for the Cardinals. We're going to discuss that and also a number that is set on a top starting pitcher and if the cardinals can muster up the courage to pay it we'll get into all of that next on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobb's Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
0: I don't think so. And this is obviously when you think about Blake Snell, you're like, yeah, I want that arm of rotation. I mean, he's one of the nationally League Cy young candidates for a reason. But Blake Snell is going to set the market and he's deserved so with the season that he's had. Um, for those those traits that you mentioned, Tanner, in terms of walk rate and not going deep into games and his price that he is going to uh, acquire, I think it would be really difficult for the Cardinals to go out and do that because they don't need just one guy. They need several.
2: That was Katie Wu of The Athletic who joined our show a little bit earlier today. Uh, If you missed that interview, you go check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Katie, of course, speaking of Blake Snell and having to sell the farm to bring him in in terms of the amount of money he's going to cost, and the reason she's speaking of that is because our good buddy, Bobby Boogie over at USA Today, he had a ton of nuggets that he put out over the weekend, and the one was Blake Snell. And a lot of people thought that, well, why would the Padres bring him back? He's in the Cy Young competition. Well, according to Bob Nightingale, the Padres are not expected to re-sign Blake Snell, believing he could command at least $200 million on the free agent market. Now, yes, a guy who's in the Cy Young conversation, who's won the Cy Young in the past, makes sense that he's in $200 million range. It makes sense that the Padres, who love to spend money on a ton of players, might not be willing to cough that up. What doesn't make sense is the Cardinals throwing $200 million out at Blake Snell if you're going down the path of what Katie just mentioned of you don't need one guy to fix your rotation, you need a lot of guys. And I actually think this is a benefit to the Cardinals of not giving Blake Snell or Blake Snell becoming available via free agency because when it was expected the Padres were going to bring him back, every team that needs starting pitching help and that wants a top-end rotation arm was going to locate Aaron Nola. And now, if Blake Snell, who wins the Cy Young, or at least is in the top two conversations of Cy Young this year, if he's available, now it's the, look over here! While everybody's targeting Blake Snell, maybe the Cardinals can swoop in and get Aaron Nola for a little bit cheaper.
3: See, I still think that Nola's price tag's going to be high, not $200 million. but it I can't still- be $200 million. No, but I still think that... If you're interested in Blake Snell, you're having conversations with Aaron Nola at the same time. I don't think it is, let's focus on Blake Snell, and if we lose, we'll go get Aaron Nola. No, because most teams that are going to be interested in these top-end starters know what we know, which is that first tier is now Blake Snell and Aaron Nola. I think the Blake Snell thing about $200 million, he's going to get that because he's got more swing-and-miss stuff, and though he uh, has not been a innings eater like Aaron Nola— the stuff's just so electric. And if he wins a second Cy Young, like that's gonna be a massive boost to his uh to his contract on the open market and his value to teams. But I don't think the Cardinals should give him two hundred million dollars. And it's because of the alarms alarm bells that go off when I see he leads the National League yeah. and walks I with ninety two. I don't think
2: there's a pitcher available that I would give two hundred million dollars to. Even Nola, and I love Nola.
3: Yeah, I would agree with that, and I think Nola's probably going to be like a six-year contract right around 20 to 22 mil a year. That's kind of what I was thinking. Um, but I, the Snell thing, if it's $200 million, I think the Cardinals are, one, I think they're out, and two, I think it makes sense that they are out because of what I just said. He walks the world, and though his stuff is elite, what happens when you get into that contract? It could be next year. It could be three years. Who knows? But what happens when he starts to lose that stuff? Yeah, He already can't locate it. And part of the reason he's able to get away with walking so many players is because he's able to utilize his stuff and get the strikeouts and get the swing and miss. But once the stuff goes, and if command continues to be an issue for him, which I would expect it to be, he's going to become from elite pitcher to maybe an average pitcher. And that's a big concern for me if I'm any team that signs him. But there are teams that are in a position that need to do it. And I understand Cardinals are in a position that they need three starting pitchers they are better off to try and target somebody else rather than go the $200 million route in Blake Snell. And you know I'm a huge Blake yeah. Snell fan.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I just don't think Blake Snell matches this Cardinals team. And, and look, I'm like in this in-between world where it's like you got to get a top-end rotation arm. I love Aaron Nola, but then the issue is you do need multiple arms, and that's where the, uh, the, the, the issues arise for the Cardinals this offseason, which is makes it so fascinating. So Blake Snell might not be a perfect match for the Cardinals, but is Mike Trout? I bring up his name. One, BK's brought his name up in the past, and we've talked about it. Uh, but now Bobby Boogie put it in USA Today his piece. The Angels, perhaps for the first time, are open to trading all star outfielder Mike Trout if he indicates to them that he wants out. Trout is exclusive, no trade rights, and said recently that he wants to have a private conversation with the front office and ownership about their direction. He's owed $248 million over the next seven years. So, really, this is a ball in Mike Trout court. Do you want to be traded? Do you not want to be traded, and if he wants to be traded, he gets to choose the destination, but of course Mike Trout's name pops up and Cardinals fans are like, hell yeah, what does it take? And even if he agrees to it and says, I want to be traded and I want to go to St. Louis, You're not going to pay the capital for Mike Trout.
3: Oh, see, I think this is a mo target if there ever was one. And here's why. If it
2: drops like Nolan Arenado did. Yeah. And I don't know if the Angels are going to be willing to do that.
3: But the Angels have no leverage. And this is why it makes all the sense in the world. Like, look at the Goldschmidt trade. He gave a Carson Kelly and Luke Weaverform. And look, he didn't – I think he was in his contract year. But again – no leverage for the Arizona Diamondbacks. They had to trade him. Nolan Arenado, no leverage. Why? There were two spots he was going. The teams knew it, and you weren't going to get anything for him, and you had to eat money for that contract to be traded. Mike Trout's the same way. Now, look, he may say, I, I think if he were to say where he's going to go, it would probably be Philadelphia. He's from around that area, if I remember correctly. So I, I don't think the Cardinals are going to get him going in the no. offseason. But if he said, I want to play for St. Louis, Cardinals have all the, the leverage. Yeah, they but don't you have can't nec- afford him. But they're not going to have to eat $248 million. You're going to have the Angels eat money. If the Angels say, we but want this prospect— isn't the return going to be
2: better if they eat money?
3: A little bit, but again, I don't think like you're paying a full $248 million over seven years. You're going to get money in return, and they have no leverage over you. Yeah. you so got- if Trout says, hey, I want to go be a St. Louis Cardinal, Mogan says, all right, well, we know he's going to come here. You basically have to accept what we get. That's why I do think—and again, I don't think it's happening. I think he's probably going to stay in L.A. or he's going to want to go to like, Philadelphia because he's from out east. But if Trout said, I want to be a St. Louis Cardinal, absolutely the Cardinals would be able to pull the trigger and they would be able to get a deal done. And it is a mo type move. We've seen him trade for superstar players in the position uh, field in the past. And the center field, a weak spot on this roster going into next year, in my opinion, Tom Yedman can play it good defensively, but doesn't have the arm. Newbar thinks average out there in center field. I think it would be possible... But I don't, know if, I don't think it's likely because I don't know if he'd want to come to St. Louis or if he even says he wants to be traded from the Angels and it's just looking for more clarity. I
2: think it puts the Cardinals in a conundrum unless they're willing to eat a lot of that money in terms of money they're able to spend to bring in starting pitchers if they take on that contract. But I'm with you. Man. I mean, if it gets to the point where they're eating money and he says he wants to go to St. Louis, then yeah, you've got the leverage and you absolutely do this. He's one of the best players in the game regardless if he's only going to play 90 games for you. You take that opportunity, especially in your weak spot that is center field. But the other issue With all of that, is does he go down the path of Nolan Arenado did, where he was vocal about wanting to be traded and stating the two places he wants to go? If that gets out, welcome to all the leverage. Tanner Hendrickson, Grant Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up next, our rewind. We will give you our results from Week One of our pick'em, and I've got Budweiser Budweiser bash tickets to give away. All coming next on 101 ESPN. (laughs)
1: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario.
0: Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage, Google the Bagel loan, featuring zero fees and zero closing costs.
2: All right, your opportunity now to text in to win a four-pack of tickets to next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash Cardinals and Brewers on September 19th, final Bud Bash game of the season, and it features a limited-edition Brendan Ryan bobblehead giveaway. Text right now, be TEXTER101, and tell us who the AI person was that T-Bone talked about in the junk drawer. You text that to 314-399-9646, and you'll score your four-pack of tickets to the Budweiser Bash. You get all the details now at cardinals.com slash promotion so we'll rewind it with the results from our week one bk and ferrario Pick'em challenge we'll start with me chicago minus one and a half the only reason it's least confident because i actually believe chicago is going to clearly win that one field stands in delivers intercepted
1: clay walker's got it that,
2: that guy was open.
1: walker <laughs> yeah, still guy. His feet Walker's still going, looking for the end zone. Play Walker is in. Stupid mm.
2: Tennessee plus three. I think Tennessee is going to easily clear that threshold. Nick Fultz to pull within one. I beg like you. T-bone, your Rams team blows. Stand by so- that statement. Seattle Seahawks are going to be my confident pick. Minus four and
1: a half. Don't stand second by that statement. Second. Williams <laughs> slithering oh, inside, in. and Kyron Williams with his second touchdown of the day, and the Rams have tied it up.
2: Way to go, Seattle. So I got two points, and if you're just joining us, what we're doing is our least confident is worth one point. The middle confidence is two points. Most confident is three points. So I came away with two points this week. We tally up all the points at the end of the month. Let's see what BK had. The Steelers plus two and a half. I love the Steelers in this spot. I think the Steelers not only cover the two and a half point spread, but win the game outright. <laughs> second and twelve, which back, back to the
1: air. Pretty looking end zone. Brandon Probably
2: the second part of that. He's
1: <laughs> got his second touchdown.
2: <laughs> the My pick.
1: two point
2: game for this week. Is the Alabama Crimson Tide
1: minus the seven oh, points? From Texas back in Bama territory. Yours from the pocket. Now he'll loft one downfield. A ton of air running underneath it. Worthy's got it for a touchdown. Mm. Been telling you guys all
2: offseason about it, and therefore I got to put my money where my mouth is. Packers plus one and a half.
1: Four man rush. Love Racing to the end zone, and he's in! Touchdown, Green Bay!
2: Do you know how confident he was about that Alabama pick? How happy he was? And then Grant was like, oh, yeah, that was mine, too. Yeah. So three points for BK. He got his most confident pick. Let's see what T-Bone had.
3: Going with the Utes at the Baylor Bears, minus seven and a half. Baylor just lost to, like, Texas Southern. Four on the play clock, in motion. Missed by half a point. (laughs) Still a miss, buddy.
2: (laughs) The winner's cover. Mm.
3: It's not luck of the Irish because the Irish are really freaking good. Gimme Notre Dame minus seven and a half. Hartman throws it out wide. Here stays
1: again. He stays in bounds and goes to the end zone. Touchdown, Notre
3: Dame. Oh I God. love Colorado against Nebraska. That Nebraska team stinks. Gimme Colorado okay. minus three. Bounces, takes his time, Does it. Touchdown, Buffalo.
1: Xavier Weaver and the Colorado Buffaloes are starting to find their Joe, that
2: might be the uh, sexy pick the rest of the year is just taking whatever the spread is on Colorado because it feels like Coach Prime has got him there. So T-Bone's got five points. Rankings after week one. T-Bone with five. BK with
3: three. I've got two. Some things Uh, never change. Some things never change. T-Bone on top again in the Pick'em Challenge. We'll see
2: what it looks like at the end of the month when the punishments come up. We'll see you guys tomorrow. Myself, BK, and T-Bone. Huge thanks to Grant Francis. Fastlane coming up next on 101 ESPN.